Hello and welcome to episode... This is the tale of Captain Jack Sparrow! Hello and welcome to episode 92 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today is uh, Stephen Meyerink, everybody. Kieran Knightley! Yeah, he just showed me that lonely... What is it, the Lonely Island? Is that what you were showing me? Yeah, it's old, man. It's not... Yeah, like, Rob, you are so old and out of touch. I live at a Franciscan monastery, for God's sake, okay? Yeah, with a bunch of kids who should know this. They don't really watch Saturday Night Live, though. That's not a Saturday Night Live thing. The Lonely Island is its own thing. Okay, well, I mean, I had my students recommend, like, Freeman's Mind to me a couple weeks ago, and I sat down and watched it. I take back what I said. Maybe they don't have the taste I wish they did. Yeah, I didn't didn't really like Freeman's Mind. That didn't, uh, it was kind of funny, like, how... Didn't uh, free your mind? It it was funny for a few minutes, but it it didn't really, didn't really do it for me. So, Stephen, how you doing, buddy? Pretty good. How you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. We had some fun playing Helldivers the other night. We did, uh, until the match where you and my roommate killed me six times. Well, to be fair, you started out by... Derek, have you played Helldivers? No, not yet. (laughs) All right, well, you get the gist of it, though. Co-op, like, like, dual stick shooter thing. It's, like, sort of has some RPG progression type stuff. It's fun, but there's friendly fire. And Rob and my roommate proceeded to drop, like, four satellite dishes on me. (laughs) And then I protect the two of them when they die, revive them. They get up, immediately drop a turret, which guns me down. And then they leave and finish the level without me. That is not – wait a minute, wait a minute. That In ha- fact, that's, that's almost exactly what happened. I'm, I'm pretty sure that might have been blow by blow exactly what happened. No, 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 no. Let's start at the beginning of that mission where as soon as we landed, you blew my head off. All right. Yes, that did like happen. Figuratively or <laughs> – Like literally it happened, but it was an accident. <laughs> I, I dropped ammo for Rob to pick up and then accidentally shot him in the face. Yes, I accidentally. Well, now I have a freaking laser beam, so when we play again, we're going to have some fun. Like, I was actually able to do some uh, some pretty hard missions last night by myself using two turrets, and I have a walking mech now. So we're going to have some fun when we play. We're actually going to probably play right after we're done recording. I uh, haven't had a chance to introduce uh, Derek yet. Derek, how you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm still Derek. I'm currently lost in an endless sea of triple triad. I will be humming Shuffle and Boogie for the rest of my days. Oh my god. I am so glad they added that. How many cards How many cards do you have so far? Um, I have... Hold on, I'm logged in right now. I'm actually playing. I have 30... 30. Exactly 30. Okay, so I you can, have uh, five more than adding me. Better cards to my deck and uh, killing all the people around the land. I, god, I want to curse so much! Don't my, my ultimate goal is just to have the Zidane card, and it's so easy to get. It just requires enough MGP that I need better cards to earn it faster. Wait, how do you, how do you get that one again? Zidane you get in the gold booster packs. Oh, okay. And, yeah. and there's only eight cards in the pack, so it's like not like it's impossible to yeah. actually get. I bought like five of those packs, and I just got crap cards. Triple uh, Triad, guys. What it's was... Final Fantasy XIV, by the way, in case you need context. They just added it along with the gold saucer. What so. was what was the Final Fantasy IX card game? What was that Tetramaster. called? Tetramaster. Tetramaster. Nobody liked Tetramaster, though, right? Yeah. No, because it had broken mechanics. Yeah, and it also didn't explain itself at all. Like, it, the game was kind of like, it, it, I don't know. There was a mandatory, like, arc where you had to actually win a tournament. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was rough. That was rough. In Trino, which has one of my favorite songs in Final Fantasy IX. That's a good I, song. I did really like Tetramaster in Final Fantasy VIII, though. I, I really did like That's that game. Right. Sorry, sorry, triple try. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's Final Fantasy VIII. It's a blur of 
nonsense and icicles and maybe Squall's dead. I don't know. Like, oh my god, you're such a baby. Nobody likes Final Fantasy VIII. Whoa! You know what? I am tired of society sh- doing mean things <laughs> to Final Fantasy VIII. Final Fantasy VIII may have a ton of flaws, but you know what? That game is fun. Okay. I, I just like how history's been rewritten. Like, now people hate on Chrono Cross, and I think Chrono Cross is the best. They're better. wrong about that, too, and don't well, try to pander to yeah, me. Yeah, they are I, wrong about that. Yeah, and don't they, people... Wait, wasn't it people didn't like... Which Zelda game? Like, Twilight Princess, I think, is the most well, famous, right? Like, people hated it. First, they didn't like Wind Waker, and then they got Twilight oh, yeah, Princess, they, and they loved it. And then Skyward Sword came out. Now everyone hates Twilight Princess because it was pandering, and I everyone think, loves Wind Waker. And, I think and, Sky, Skyward Sword's getting a lot of hate now. Like, that's yeah. getting a lot of retroactive hate. Like, the, the internet is kind of starting to turn on that game. I actually <laughs> sort of think Skyward Sword deserves more criticism than the other games, though. Like, Skyward Sword has 40% great ideas and 60% the world map. Yeah, I, and I think Twilight Princess is is God. We I need to write that editorial. I've been meaning to do this for like two years now on like how a game kind of lives on in in the psyche. Like because we were talking a little bit in the pre show warm up. Like Metal Gear Three, Metal Gear Solid Three came out with very little fanfare. It it reviewed well, but you know I think people rightfully kind of blasted it because its camera was completely borked in the original version of it. And then subsistence. Did people come- really think that? I never had that problem. Oh, I yeah, actually don't, I don't like the new Metal Gear camera. camera. Whoa! The new Metal Gear camera's like, hey, I'm a third-person action game. No, no. Have you played Metal Gear 3 with the actual, like, decent camera, like the 3D camera the way God intended? It's a completely different game. Like, it doesn't feel like rooms anymore. It actually feels like a jungle environment. Try to do the helipad area with that camera versus the original. It's night and day. It's like playing the game with... I have played with that camera. I hated it. How? Why? That's, That's not how classic Metal Gear is meant to be played. I'd, sort of I'd, like how you're not meant to play Resident Evil without tank controls. Oh my yes, God. Here we I go. am still in agreement I about did that. switch to okay, so I did switch to tank controls on the remake because the animation started to bug me, which Derek kind of pointed out, and I, I'll agree with that. And I got really good with the tank controls again. Took a little bit of getting used to, but I, I'm sorry that the camera. That, I'm not going to let you get away with that. The camera in Metal Gear Three makes. I'm not, I'm not saying that the camera is inherently broken. I'm just saying Metal Gear Three was built to be played with the Metal Gear camera, and it works better that way. Later games are better with that camera because they were designed with that camera. I actually think some of the environments are completely messed up, and the end feels like you're only running north if you're using the original Metal Gear camera. No, I I think it actually feels like a real 3D environment with the 3D camera. But anywho, what I'm playing games. What. But, but what I'm saying is, like, Metal Gear 3 came out, nobody really cared about it, and now it's, like, heralded. I think Games Radar put it as number two or three on their all-time 100 list right now. Really? Like, it, I mean, it's great, but... It, it's kind of... It, it's taken on a life of its own, I think, because when you... When you play games that have a lot of depth, it maybe doesn't reveal themselves when you're playing it in a review environment, for example. Like, you know, we're talking to the guy right now that's probably going to have to barrel his way through Bloodborne, you know, cigarettes in my mouth the entire time trying to get a review up for that really fast. Like, Despite the fact that after he reviewed Dark Souls 1, he said, I'm not going to review Dark Souls 2, and then reviewed Dark Souls 2, and then said, I'm not going to review Bloodborne, and then is going to review Bloodborne. Yes, I do it to myself, because I am a masochist. I play these games, for God's sake. But I I think that sometimes, you know, a game kind of takes on a life of its own. And Twilight Princess, you know, reviewed, with the exception of Jeff Gersman, like, uh, that game was one of the highest reviewed games of all time there for a while. And now people are like, eh, it's not that good. Meanwhile, Wind Waker got kind of chastised a little bit. Now everyone thinks that it's the bee's knees. You know, it's... Which it is. 
I love Wind Waker. I do. I think Twilight Princess is a better game. I think I think Wind Waker is a timeless art style and a better story. I had yeah okay. I um I can agree with that. I had a, a really interesting conversation with my roommate last night. We were talking about like how like relative flaws of Zelda games like. None of them have to be perfect. Like, I know people think Ocarina of Time is perfect, and maybe it is. Again, I can't separate my lack of nostalgia from how I feel about that game. But, like, you know, you talk about, like, relative flaws. Like, Skyward Sword has an awesome, like, the desert dungeon, the art styles, great stuff. But then it has, you know, the empty world map that takes forever to navigate. You know, you look at, like, you know, Twilight Princess. Twilight Princess has cool items and a cool art style, but then it has things like the gear or whatever it was, the 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 gear item that you literally use once. Yeah, the spinner. That should have just been a dungeon gimmick rather than an item because you use it like once outside of the dungeon. Yeah, but it also has the snow dungeon in Twilight Princess, which is one of the best Zelda dungeons ever. Oh, yeah. And like the claw shot. That's that's the thing is like each of them sort of has like relative merits. Like, so like whenever someone's just like, this game is terrible and nowhere near as good as people thought, it's like, well, this game probably had some good, good elements to it. And, you know, well, it's like what it's uh, not to bring up the evil within again, but I'm going to. Uh, that game feels like it was made by two development teams. Like you have two the ones or three who made the good levels and the ones who made the other levels. Yeah, like you have two, you have two or three levels there. Like, oh my god, this is amazing! It's so tense, it's so creepy. I love this. And then you get to the action sections, which are like, uh, we're going to throw thirty dudes at you. Yeah, well, this game, which is great. Like Resident Evil Five is built for action like that. Yeah. So, like, you know, for as much as I don't think it plays well as a Resident Evil game, I still think it's a fun co-op shooter. I was going to say we need to get that maybe over the summer and play it together again because something. I, I'm on that Resident Evil kick. I kind of want to. No, I I think that game is legitimately fun, but, like, that's because that game is built for that kind of shooting, but then you get, like, The Evil Within is built for you're stumbling around and not taking good aim, you know, it's more of a Last of Us type thing where you're not meant to be able to, like, fight carefully, so then when they put you in broad daylight and just spew enemies at you, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, and I'm really hoping that the DLC will kind of fix that, but, you know, it's kind of like, one thing that I've really been interested in in games is like the the rough areas of games like the the areas that very clearly did not go through either a good focus test or they don't feel right they don't play well with the mechanics you know like um you know dark souls you can bring up the bed of chaos like there's nothing fun about that boss fight like i don't know who was asleep at the wheel at that boss fight it is not fun to do a leap of faith that you can get picked off in midair and get like shifted around the environment it's ugly it's nasty terrible idea for for a game like there are sections in uncharted that i don't like i'm like well this isn't really fun like how about every uncharted final boss oh god oh my again i love uncharted but uncharted 2 has one of the dumbest final bosses ever like are you talking about the where you need to shoot the plants where you fight like oh yeah that boss pissed me off oh that boss is terrible yeah well you know only because like that game is built sort of again nathan drake can do superhuman agility but, like, it's sort of built around this, like, you know, people have physical human limitations. So, like, your shooting system, shoot a guy in the leg and he falls down. Whereas now you're fighting a guy who doesn't flinch and just runs up and, like, dump truck punches you on stuff. And you're like, wait, this is not what this game's strengths are. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I actually... like a solid 9.5, by the way, just in case the listeners well, are like, wow, you guys are hating on Uncharted 2? Like, that's, yeah, no. Uh, uh, that's just one one flaw in, like, an incredibly amazing game. 9. Yeah, 5, Uncharted 2 is just mm, deliciously 9, 9. amazing. 9.5 my ass, but no, that's neither here nor there. Whoa! Are you saying it's higher, Laura? 
Oh, I'm saying it's much lower. I actually, oh. I, I would give it a seven. Face is much lower. I'd give it a seven point five. That game, yeah. that game has amazing moments. Like that whole train sequence was absolutely draw jaw dropping. So so amazing, I can barely say it. But the, I think you guys are forgetting the boss in that train that is abhorrent. I have like, no problem with that turret guy. I mean, she, that's a section that, that he's a bullet sponge. He's a complete bullet. Sponge. But I got through in you know like maybe. Half think, an hour or two an I think hour. the other problem is that if you play the Uncharted games on hard, which I know Steven's going to then chime in and say, I had no problem with him. When it, It's kind of like Dude, playing the Evil. Hard, man. But if you start playing the Evil Within on its highest difficulty, if you start playing Uncharted on its high, highest difficulty, the cracks really start to appear. And we've also been through this years ago. Uncharted and I do not get along because every time I try to do something in that game, the game's like, nope, and just kills me. Like, the game literally had a suicide button Well, I think because you're playing, trying to play it more like a free-form shooter. Oh, yeah. Whereas no, Uncharted I... is very much like a a Hollywood ride where it's like, you know, yeah, you're sort of shooting the targets to make the event start. But right. it's meant to be sort of this linear funnel you through an exciting set-piece moment type yeah. thing. Yeah, and meanwhile, I had zero problems with, like, Max Payne 3 and zero problems with Wolfenstein, which are two games that people were like, man, these games are really hard. And I'm like, not really like for whatever reason with max Payne three i think i died twice on a hard playthrough like i had no problems with that game and meanwhile everybody else is losing their mind so that fight in the monastery at the end of uncharted 2 like i did play on whatever the hardest difficulty is that game was really hard like i'm not gonna t- i'm not gonna sit here and tell you i didn't die a million times like i died a lot and the monastery part mostly because in the hard mode it's like here's nine waves of enemies and if you die on any of them you're back at the beginning yeah that's the other part but but, but any but anyway yeah. Role-playing games. Role-playing games. I I just think it's interesting to think think about how games, like, how the narrative of the game after the release kind of goes along. You know what I mean? Like, you know, now everybody looks at The Last of Us and says that that was clearly the game of the year when Bioshock Infinite actually reviewed better than it did when it initially came out. Like, the interesting stuff like that, that I just, I, I always get excited for that, but... You know, we wanted to do a podcast today because we're getting... I, you can't I, throw that in and then move on. What? The Last of Us is a better game than Bioshock. I, I would every have, way. No, no, that's what I'm agreeing with you on that. What I'm saying is that, like, The Last of Us is now getting all of these huge accolades and, you know, all, all of this praise. And I think it's worthy. I think it's Naughty Dog's best game. But when Bioshock Infinite came out, Bioshock Infinite reviewed better than The Last of Us. Like... Well, I, I, well, I, that's like very, very minute, like granularity. Like they both re- had overwhelmingly positive reviews. Uh, I, Last of Us got pinged a little bit by Polygon, by GameSpot. I mean, it. Yeah, but the guy who reviewed it for Polygon gives most games a seven. I know, but but what I'm saying is that like the narrative, like he actually uses the full scale. Okay, as I'm saying, the narrative of the game changed. And meanwhile, now Bioshock Infinite gets raped. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not disagreeing with you that the narrative can change, but I, I I think you might be mistaken in that saying that The Last of Us... Oh, it wasn't panned. Did not get, like... It wasn't like, panned. Like, I feel like people right from the get-go were talking about how amazing that game was, and it only continued to gather that right. reputation. And I think it's also a game that it ages better. Like, I'm, I'm replaying that now, because I have my PlayStation 4 now, and uh, <laughs> I'm replaying that, and it is a game that has aged pretty nicely, although I still contend that the beginning of that game is awful compared to later sections uh but 
You don't like narrative sequences, though. You like sequences where it's like, here's every tool you have. Go do what you want. I like a game that leaves me alone and lets me decide how I want to play it and not hold back its best features for no goddamn good reason. At the It's called of the pacing, Rob. I'm an adult. I can figure the game out. Give me a Molotov cocktail so I can have some fun. I don't like everything being accessible immediately. Like, like within reason. I you agree. Know? It's, it's not like Final Fantasy XIII where I want to go through nine <laughs> chapters before I get the battle system. But uh, I, I don't. I think it's overwhelming to have everything available right away. Like maybe, maybe there could be a new game plus where on the second playthrough you immediately have everything. That's fine. But like for a first playthrough, I think contributing to the pacing is really important. By well, like, I th- yeah, limiting, I completely, you intentionally I completely, to a certain degree. But I think yeah, I agree that like you don't want to go the route of Final Fantasy thirteen where you are waiting thirty hours to get access to your full system. But like a narrative game, especially like one like The Last of Us, no matter how you want to play it, there is merit in pacing things out. That's why you end up with RPGs that are like, here's your entire party all at the beginning, and then it's like, I hate that. I really, really don't like that. Yeah, and, like, you know, it's okay to do that if you're going to do it quickly, but you need to have some sort of variance. You need to have things happen to make the party dynamic interesting. That's, like, you know, one of my major things that I might have with Final Fantasy XV is, like, I'm okay with them having these four characters alone, but you need to challenge that. Like, okay, Ignis is, like, born and raised to be Noctis' counsel and will protect him. Ignis has to have a moment where Noctis is a total D-bag and he has to contend with, wow, am I protecting a total jerk-off? Or like Noctis has – there has to be interesting things happening within that dynamic. The thing well, is you can't have staticness. And in a, in a game, if they just throw all of your options at you right at the beginning, it's like, all right, here's everything. Just go experiment. A, you're overwhelmed because you're introduced to everything all at once. And B, you'd, and, you, know, you don't have a moment to experience each of those things individually to learn how they work and then figure out how they work together. It's also like, yeah, nothing is ever going to change because I have everything right from the start. But what what really frustrates me about The Last of Us, and I, I get where you guys are coming from. I definitely want pacing. There have been games that throw so much at me, I almost put the controller down and go, okay, that was too much. Like, I didn't need all that. But what frustrates me about the, the Last of Us is twofold. One, they hold back the game's best features until you're about three hours into it. Like, the whole crafting system doesn't really open up until you've gotten to Pittsburgh. Like, that's when the game finally says, okay, now you can start crafting your items and making decisions, which is the best part of that game. And two, the scenarios that they put you in because you don't have the tools necessarily necessary to deal with them, the game puts you into auto combat about three or four times before you get to Pittsburgh, and the combat in the game is flighty and nasty for a reason. I agree with that. But because I now don't have shivs or I don't have Molotov cocktails or I don't have enough ammo to deal with, I'm fighting with the game's mechanics, whereas the one combat scenario, your first clicker encounter, is terrible because you have no means of dealing with it and there's no way to get through it with stealth. Then when they put you into the next clicker encounter, you have your stealth systems and the game finally starts to work. It's like the game is punishing me at the start. It's like if Metal Gear forced you into combat in the... If Metal Gear 3 forced you into combat during the uh, Virtuous mission. If the game forced you into combat, I'd be having the exact same complaints. But it doesn't. The game gives you the tools necessary to deal with it. At the same time, see where you guys are coming from, it's almost information overload at the beginning of the game. So I get it, but I don't I don't think The Last of Us makes a good first impression. This is an argument that we've been having for two years. I want to move away from it. <laughs> I still think The Last of Us is the best game that Naughty Dog has ever made. Okay, I just think that the beginning part of that game is kind of trashy. 
Like, it's not very fun. It's kind of bad. That's all I'm saying. I think I think you say that as a person who's played through the game, you know, and it. it in in full to completion, like you've played it more than once, haven't you? I've played about two and a half, and I'm gonna yeah, probably play it three times. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that I think that's the kind of issue that really only emerges on a second playthrough. I mean, you, I don't know. That's, I that's, had to push my way through the right. beginning of that game. I, I was not liking it's it. You guys, were, point you, you guys, were, throw, I was like, man, this game, this is rough. I guess I better suffer through it. Like, no, that's honestly. Like, I played the beginning of that game and thought it was one of the best introductions to a game well, I've ever played. Cinematically, I was having fun with it, but the gameplay, I wasn't. But that's the really thing: in. is the beginning is a prologue to the gameplay. Like, you are not supposed to have full gameplay access because it is. It's a cinematic introduction, and yeah, you could argue that once you've beaten it once, that's less exciting, because you're like, yeah, I know where this is going. For sure, yeah. No, but it's, it's 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 paced that way for narrative reasons, and I that's why I'm like, yeah, this should be that way because it's introducing things. I think yeah. The Last of Us has one of the best intros in a game ever. Cinematically, I can agree with you, but what drives me nuts about that game is that first clicker encounter. I know you roll your eyes at me, Steven. I can hear you doing it right now. But that first clicker encounter is terrible. Like, there's no way to be stealthy in that section. There's no way to deal with all the problems that the game's giving you. The game is forcing you into a combat scenario that has a one-shot auto-kill, which can happen multiple times, which pisses me off because the number one complaint that I read about The Evil Within from every review is the one-hit auto-kills, and I'm like... Well, guess what? I died more in this one section in The Last of Us because of that one-hit auto-kill than I did in the, the Evil Within. Why was it okay in this game, but it wasn't okay in the other game? Like, that's the thing that really gets me, is, like, the consistency from the reviewers. is like, if this pissed you off in this one... It, for the whole Last of Us, I didn't die nearly as much as I did in Uncharted 2. That's probably one of the reasons I like The Last of Us so much. I felt like if I was careful in that game, if I took my time everything was fine and when i made a mistake i was like man i really screwed up like in the hotel i was doing fine and i got caught and we had a shootout and it was nasty and i loved it because it was my own mistake but at the beginning part of the game the game just auto spawns enemies that are aggro on you because it's not your mistake the game is like well you have to figure out how to do the combat right now you have to go through the shooting section and i'm like well that's not my fault like that's where i don't like that and this gets to exactly what you guys are talking about, which I don't like control being taken away from me. When the game lets off and lets me play it the way I want to, I think The Last of Us is fantastic. I don't like when the game starts enemies aggro on me because that's what the game wanted to do. I appreciate your point. I think we should talk about RPGs. I think we should. I think we should. And we get very heated on this, but I, I, I see where you guys are coming from, too. It's still a good game. It's still a good game. Eight out of ten. No, I'm just saying. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> Final Fantasy IX, 7 out of 10. Uh, I'm going to 7 out of 10 you right <laughs> up. You can get me back when we're playing Helldivers tonight. So, uh, you in danger, girl. I know, right? So, yeah, I got my PlayStation 4, and uh, I just wanted to say that I really, really like what they did with it. Uh, it's a great user interface, really fun, easy to use, super simple to like download a game and have it update very quickly it seems like the whole internet infrastructure is better this to me feels like the console that i was promised with the playstation 3 and we never quite got there you know because it was such a huge jump from playstation 2 i'm not bagging on playstation 3 but like having the games just auto update is like a godsend because i 
I fired up my Vita after not having that thing out for like three months, and I had to sit there for like 20 minutes waiting for it to update. Every time I go to my 3DS, I shudder because I'm like, okay, I want to buy something on the eShop. No, now I have to download the update. Okay, now the update's taken really long. Okay, now well, that, I, have- that, I think we should make sure we're care- comparing carefully because the 3DS has the most obtuse and worst internet system I've ever seen in my life. Yes, like, I, I, the I, fact that, like, you know, when I was trying to download the Smash Brothers demo or, like, download a Smash Brothers patch, it's like, yeah, I can search Smash and it'll be the 40th entry in the list. And I'm like, I think there's a problem here. Yeah, and it, I have to remember my password every time I update the damn thing. Like, it just... Well, I mean... It's not – It's well, if you use a different password for everything and you only log into it once in a while, like, that can create a problem. And meanwhile, the PlayStation 4 is, like th- – this is one of the reasons why – I know somebody's going to get pissed off at me for mentioning it, but, like, I love the fact that I can keep my computer on and it will just auto-update games on Steam. I love that. The PlayStation 4 now does that. That is fantastic. Like, I love that. It, it, I actually really like the cloud saving that PS Plus has. It's yeah, my favorite thing ever. I love awesome going too. anywhere and being like, yeah, I logged in and all my saves are here. Yeah, I, I think it's fantastic what they've done. It, they've they've made such huge strides on that system that it is now a pleasant experience for me to use it. It is not the PlayStation 3 like, okay, I, I want to play you know this game, and I put it in, and oh, there was a patch released, so now I need to download the patch. Like, it's just... It's so nice. It's They took some of the best parts of what's been on the PC, they've added it to the consoles, and now it's fantastic. Like, I, I couldn't be happier with the PlayStation 4. I really like it, except for the battery life. Dear God, those controllers. Y- you gotta be kidding me. Like, I can, run, I can run one of them dead in like three hours. Are they serious? I, I haven't noticed them being that bad, but... I think compared to the PlayStation Three, like I used to. Well, be able yeah, to they're they're lower, but I I've, I wouldn't say I've had three hour problems. I'm I'm getting. I get about five to six, but okay. I'm I'm a little I'm a little shocked with the battery life on them, but I do love the controller. I I think it feels really good. Uh, and with that, I got a chance to play some Diablo Three on console, baby. Talk about timely releases. <laughs> yeah. That game's really good on console. That game's really really good on console. It is, yeah. It is. I never played Reaper of Souls, so it was really perfect for me to jump back into it, and I need to get back on it, like so many other games. But yeah, those uh, the Last of Us Nephilim refs are what I really wanted to check out. Yeah, they're cool. I, yeah, I like it on console. My problem is I have so many Paragon levels on PC that I'm always like, I'm not going to play the console version. Yeah, no, I, I like I would, but it's just like you know. I play it if there's like four people, or like people over that want to play local co-op, which is fun. Oh, yeah, and what they did with local co-op, like being able to very easily equip items, that is just a very smartly designed game. Like, you're sitting there playing it, and you're going, they really thought about a lot of this stuff. They, they figured out how it's it's very easy to re-equip skills. You know, if you are playing couch co-op, then only one person can really do, like, the deep investigating of their equipment and their skills, but you can very easily see the last couple items that you picked up, whether or not you should equip them for better bonuses. It's just a really smart, smartly designed system, which t- takes me back to when I was playing Dungeon Siege 3, and I was just, like, slamming my head on a table, like okay, you guys clearly didn't think this stuff through. This is not very smart. This is kind of annoying. And look what happens when you give a developer some time to really make advancements on a title. I mean, there's a reason why. What's Diablo 3 sales now? Like 15 million or something 
astronomical like that. A like, lot. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason that this game has sold so well. And Blizzard, you know, said it to Derek earlier. It, Blizzard, if it was any other company, they would be on to Diablo 5 by now. Right, and yeah. 3 and 4 would have just been completely forgotten. But instead, they've just done a really good job of advancing it. Field- <laughs> Battlefield. Yeah. Uh, doesn't Hardline come out in like a day or two? Did it already come out? I don't know, something like that. That's the most tone-deaf tone release I've ever heard seen. Yeah, especially considering some of the stuff that's going on in the news right now. Like, Considering, I'm pretty sure, not an hour ago, I read about, I don't know, a cop shooting somebody or somebody shooting a cop. Either way, it sucks. And then it's like, here's a game where cops shoot each other. Would you put Payday in that category? Isn't that like a heist game? I don't know, I haven't really played much Payday, so I couldn't say... I, I, I was just wondering, like, why hadn't paid... Uh, if, out of all the games that I thought were going to get, like, some some media attention and some anger, not saying that that's what I, I look for in my games or what I want to see, Payday kind of just flew under the radar. Like, I actually well, view Payday... I think it could be that the emphasis in Payday is on heists versus Battlefield Hardline is about cops and robbers killing each other. You, you do kill an awful lot of cops in Payday, though. Like, But, I, like, yeah, but, like, the difference is... And I'm a, I, I think the difference would be that... Payday, again, is like, this is a game where you cooperate to pull off heists, whereas Battlefield Hardline is like, you're the cops versus the bad guy. Oh, yeah. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. And that and the fact that Hardline had, like, the most tone-deaf theme song I've ever heard in my life. Oh, boy. Was it Cop Killer? I can't remember what it was, but it was, like, (laughs) bad timing. And I don't think they did it on purpose, but it was just really bad timing. Yeah, I probably would have shelved that game. Like after all the stuff that happened over the summer, I, I probably would have said, "Yeah, maybe we shouldn't do this." Like, or, mm. or make it like dinosaurs or something. I You're don't talking know. about the company that just killed Maxis, which I'm angry about, by the way. Register me as angry. Uh, yeah. Are we gonna get Sim Ant too? I wish we could get Sim Ant too. I love Sim Ant. Just remember, I'm not all, being facetious at all. Remember all this anger like, when they announced Mass Effect Four, and you start getting giddy. If they make it a sequel, I will. We'll talk later. I think that's the plan, isn't it? It might be. I think. I still think it's going to be a prequel. Yeah, you've been saying that. I think it's going to be like we're doing the first contact war because in today's society we have to explain everything in the beginning. Yep. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. A lot of PlayStation Four, and uh, I am ready for Bloodborne. Uh, bring it here now. Let, let's get this. Let's get. So this I may started. actually pick this up, Rob. I know. I'm like so proud of you, Derek. <laughs> Like what? What made you do it? I don't know. I think I think well, your hype is contagious for sure, and I like the uh, focus on offense rather than defense because mm-hmm. it, what, part of what bothered me so much about Dark Souls was, I, okay, so the primary thing that I don't like about Dark Souls and Demon Souls is the atmosphere and the UI, and I know that Bloodborne is going to be similar atmosphere. It's like dark, 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 dark. But I think that the like the UI and the I don't know, like, something about the game's presentation has always kind of bugged me, and it feels weirdly incongruous with how tight the combat feels, but that it's just never really jived with me, and I think that Bloodborne also looks similarly dark and dreary, but it's a different kind of dark and dreary. It's a little bit more interesting to me than your generic gothic horror. Well, I guess this is also gothic horror, but, you know, different than Dark Knight in Dark Suit fights Big Monster Guy. Um... I think I think it's mostly your hype and the uh, the focus on more proactive, offensive combat. Um, and watching, I watched you guys. That I'm sure you've seen the videos that have come out of the first hour or so of the game. 
I watched those and I thought that it, it looked more interesting than I anticipated it would for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'll try it. Help yeah. me. No, just give to it me. A shot. It's you know, it, this is going to sound silly that I would force myself to like something, but it, for me, it's really similar to like how. For years and years, all I hear is how amazing Monster Hunter is. And every time I play it, I'm like, everybody who likes this is insane. Like, I'm like, these, this game controls like crap. And I know that's a mechanic. And, you know, it's like grindy and da 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 da. And, like, I kept being like, I feel like I'm missing the point. Like, I feel like there's no way this many people would enjoy this experience if there wasn't something of merit to it. And so, like, I tried four and I sort of like the demo, I was like, this is weird and obtuse, but. I guess I could see the depth and I've been playing it a little more and sort of actually liking it. And I, so I feel like partially it's that I've been forcing myself to try to find what people like in that so I can appreciate it because it's like, yeah, I want to have a cool gaming experience. That's less than ideal, honestly, but I'm in the exact same situation as you. I've been also playing Monster Hunter 4 recently and it's because I have somebody to play with in person who can actually just say like, oh yeah, I know that's obtuse and doesn't make sense, but... Like, here's how it works. Like, here's etiquette for when you go into a multiplayer hunt. You should only grab this many items. And, oh, this is what this NPC does. Or, like, oh, yeah, I know the skills are really stupid and don't make sense, but you have to go into this menu and click on this thing to actually understand, like, what happens when you get a certain number of skill points. And and little by little, the pieces come together, and I think it starts to get a lot more interesting. Monster Hunter, the and, and it's a good comparison to make, I think, Stephen, because for me, the reason why I kept pushing through with Monster Hunter is because I like the style, like the, the the aesthetic better than I like Dark Souls aesthetic. And I think that they're similar in that they're both games that have very precise combat that may not make sense right away and you kind of have to learn how the game plays. Like Yeah, like not, it, it, it does not make itself open to you. They're not it's like, yeah, here here's and, your tools, good luck. And I am... I. I'm saying that that's actually not a good thing. Like, I'm not going to defend that design choice. I think that it being so obtuse and opaque at the very beginning is not good. But once you push through that, you'll find a lot of depth. And I think that there's a similar a similar situation happening in Dark Souls. It's probably not as hard to get into as Monster Hunter is. But I feel like if I can if I can get over that barrier with Monster Hunter, I can get over it with Bloodborne. See, I, I always go back to... Demon Souls, which was, you know, my, my first exposure to the Souls games. And I had watched some videos online because everybody was talking about this game and it was right when Atlas picked it up. It was a huge cult hit in Japan and people were complaining and wanting to get it over here and we finally did. I actually think that the core of Dark Souls, uh, the Souls series in general, and Bloodborne with it, I think the core of, you know, attacking stamina, I think that 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 part of the game explains itself very well because it's very visceral and it it's very easy to comprehend. So the core combat, I think, is easy to understand. The problems come from like the, oh, if you have this much weight, you slow down. Or, oh, you can if only... If you have eight humanity, you have more magic fun. Right. Or if you have... If you're in human form, you can summon people to help you. That's the stuff that people have been having a hard time with. Like... I read so many message board forums on like, hey, I got cursed in Dark Souls, now I have half health, what the hell is going on, how do I fix this? That's the stuff that I think they actually did a much better job of explaining in Dark Souls 2. 
I think that the obfuscation part of it was kind of gone in two in that they explain things like, oh, this is why your health is going down. You read the item descriptions. They tell you about getting back your human form. Oh, you can only summon people when you're in human form. They do a much better job of, of telling you that. And I think another thing that has held back players from getting into Dark Souls is the the own the community, which is saying that, oh, it's super hard. To me, it's not about the difficulty. To me, it's about you're on an adventure, you're in this world, go figure it out. That's the part of it that I find very interesting. Like I, The parts that I love about the Souls games are I'm going into an area I've never been in before and I'm terrified. Like I don't know what's around the next corner. I do corner. like that. And I think that's what has drawn me to Bloodborne and makes me want to give it a go. Yeah, yeah. That, that complete lack of information. Like going in completely blind and just figuring out how to get through the world. That's exciting to me. What's not exciting to me is having to figure out these opaque game systems that you don't... I'm not, And I'm not saying that it has to be like, again, I don't need to have my hand held and I don't need them to tell me, beat me over the head with stuff. But when you have to actually go online to understand like why a mechanic is doing a certain thing, then that's problematic to me. And I guess you oh, I can, can agree. I can, you agree. can find out some of that in the game. So actually what I wanted to ask you, Rob, is from what you've seen so far of Bloodborne, do you think that it's moving in the direction of providing a similar experience atmospherically and mechanically while also reducing that wall? Like, do you think it seems to be more transparent in terms of, um, like, the more esoteric mechanics? See, I, I'm kind of of two minds of it, because, you know, I've watched the video that you're talking about, too. I think IGN did a great job over the past month of showing a lot of video, having a lot of really good developer interviews. I'm getting a lot of deja vu right now which was when Dark Souls 1 came out, like they would explain systems in interviews, and I couldn't tell, was that just a bad translation job, or was that the vaguest thing I've ever heard? So like I'm, I'm reading a lot about some of the online interactions and about how you'll, you'll summon each other to each other's worlds, and there's a lot of talk about the covenants or, or hunter groups or things like that. And I'm having the exact same thing that I had with Dark Souls 1, where I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to get in there and really figure out what this is because somebody is describing possibly third or fourth hand translation or maybe the crew is just being noticeably vague. But what I have seen that makes me feel... So that's on the one side, which is me thinking that it is going to have some of those opaque parts that you kind of have to sift through a little bit. But on the other side, what I'm seeing is a little bit more of the Dark Souls 2, like in the in the 18-minute video on IGN, the beginning of the game. It seems like they're explaining their systems better in the descriptions, like they're explaining what each element does on your character. It also seems like they're reducing the number of at attributes on characters and reducing the number... I, I want to be careful how I say this, because then people are going to think that they're simplifying. It seems They're like getting rid of the excessive number of stats and focusing yes. it down to stats that are more comprehensible and make sense. Like I you don't yes. need strength, stamina, vitality, and you know, vigor. Right. Like those can all be encompassed by one or two stats maybe. Right. And I, Steven just said it better than I could. So I think that they're trimming the fat. I think they're going more in the dark souls two way, but at the same time, part of the appeal of the game is not knowing like when you go up to this guy who runs a certain covenant, you don't really know what you're getting into, and there, there's something appealing about that. And so I think as long as they keep that stuff on the higher level, that is, I think, what will make you happy, Derek, as long as the game is explaining the core gameplay elements better. Right. Like, 
Dark, Demon Souls did a terrible job of explaining why you should upgrade your weapons. Like, the first time you upgrade a weapon in Demon Souls, you're like, okay, it's doing six more damage than it was before. It was doing 100 damage, now it's doing 106. Okay, big deal. Yeah, it's doing 106 damage, but now it's also got better scaling, and your strength is going up, so you're actually doing 130 damage, and you don't even realize it right now. That's the kind of stuff that they need to do a better job of explaining, and I do think Dark Souls 2 did a better job of that, and I think Bloodborne's doing a better job of that as well. Okay. So The vibe I've been getting from Bloodborne as a whole is that they're trying to make it accessible to players who like the positive aspects of the series, but don't like dying 30 times because they just simply do not have information they need. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think they're doing a better job of that. I think so long as they, they do that and... <laughs> This is just a personal taste thing, but as long as it's not just like needlessly gross, uh, I have a problem there. <laughs> yeah. Well, they have at least since fixed the absurd blood from E3. Like, I, that was, I remember it's, seeing it's the still first trailer, and I was just like, mm, I mean, there there is a boss who her hair is her meat flaps. Like, I mean, I I think you're gonna have some of that. Like, okay, it's... well, I like Silent Hill because I think that Silent Hill is. Um, it, it's dark and creepy and gross, but there's a lot of interesting mythos behind it. Like, I, I enjoy all of the psychological things that are happening behind the scenes. And I just, I don't like just, oh, look at the blood guts, blah. I, yeah. I want it to be interesting. I want there to be lore behind it. Like, that's fine. I can deal with macabre. So just so long as it isn't. Nothing for the sake of being blue. I yeah. think I think the Souls games are actually good about that. I know what you're talking about that there is some some gross gnarliness in Dark Souls, but you know I I love what uh, Miyazaki said about like the gaping dragon, and he was like, yeah, I had one time people brought me like flies and maggots all over a a, a zombie dragon, and he was like, that's not what I wanted. Like I wanted it to look sorrowful. I wanted it to look like you're saying the Silent Hill like. There's a lore reason why this character is the way it is. It's not just disgusting for the sake of being disgusting. Yeah. Um, my real concern with Dark with Bloodborne, after seeing a lot of videos, and you know, I'm not ready to to get off the hype train. I am firmly in the conductor's seat, driving this thing to crazy town right now. My biggest concern is twofold. One, I've said it before, they need to get the dodging right, because now that that's your only means of real defense is to dodge around the environment, if that doesn't feel good, the game's going to be trash. Like, that dodging needs to feel perfect, and it never has felt good in Souls games. It's very mercurial. Some people have it completely figured out, but I still think dodging works nine times out of ten, and that's not good enough. It needs to be a little bit better. It needs to feel like oh, messed I, up. I, I feel like dodging is perfect in that series. Oh no, dude, you didn't play enough too. You well, did yeah, not but play enough. I don't. I don't count two. Two's not real. <laughs> okay. It's just... Well, Rob wants to forget about it after the DLC he had. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, Speaking I love... of great DLC, I hear the Lords of the Fallen DLC is horrendous. What? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, it's like ninety minutes. <laughs> it's like three. Apparently, rooms. it's ninety minutes and awful. Yeah, well, that game wasn't very good, but that's that's neither here nor there. So that's that's my one concern is I really want the dodging to feel good. This plays into what we talked about before. I want it to feel like it's my mistake. Like I want to feel like I got hit. Okay, my my fault. I did it wrong. I'll get him next time. The other thing I am really worried about, and it's because of how fast the game is. That camera looks like it's got some issues. Like on the bigger enemies that they are fighting in some of the boss videos. Oh dear. Like, uh, Dark Souls is never really. The Souls games in general have not had very good cameras, and 
they have gotten me killed on occasion, and some of the crazier boss fights have been kind of a giant guessing game about where the character is going to land. I'm a little worried about that. Maybe it'll be okay, but that, that camera is... It could be a problem. Even if Bloodborne doesn't pan out for me, there's a ton of stuff out this month. That... Yeah. Oh my goodness, I love it. Well, that's why the the episode of this uh, this podcast, uh, the episode, the name of this podcast is going to be Anticipation, because I feel like we're all anticipating very very big releases right now. Yeah. So March is fantastic. I can't wait. And I already have my hands on one of the games I was looking forward to, which is Atelier Shally. Well, tell us a little bit about it, sir. Let's get away from Souls and Bloodborne and all that. Tell me a little bit about Let, it. Let's start with the most important question: Is the soundtrack as good as the rest of those games? Uh, so far, yeah, I like it. Um, awesome. It's doing a, a better job, I think, of balancing the uh, kookier tracks with the more somber stuff. So the the there are a lot of Atelier games out there, and this is the third and final entry in a trilogy called the Dusk Trilogy. Um, so it's the sixth one on PS3 because, holy crap, they made a lot of these games. Um, but the uh, the theme behind this one is that they're in a world that's actually dying, and they kind of started to approach this this idea with the the past two games in the series. But this one is actually showing like an actively dying world, and the uh, the main characters are alchemists who are trying to figure out what what's happening in the world. And um, one of the two, the, there are two protagonists in this game, and one of the two is trying to find a way to restore her uh, village's water source, which has like dried up, and so her people are actually on the brink of dying out. So it's it's a bit of a darker, more melancholy take on what I traditionally associate with a very happy series, like. They tend to be very goofy and lighthearted games that, that are slice of life stories focused on individual people. Sorry, that actually kind of reminds me of Wild Arms Four, Three, Three, yeah. uh, which is like you know a, a lot of the backstory of that game is like the world is dying. Why is it dying? And you have you know when you find out more of the backstory about like the main characters and their parents and like what they were working on, like you know uh, why is the world dying? That that strikes me as a like you said, it's very less. It sounds less slice of life and more like a little more drama heavy than I would think. I mean, maybe the game isn't necessarily drama, but there, yeah. it is a dramatic concept. Well, it, it definitely had a more. Uh, there was a little bit more drama in the beginning than I'm accustomed to, and for the people who want slice of life stuff, that's still in the game. So, like the previous game, um, Eskan Lodgy, there are two playable characters. They're both named Shally, which is, mm, I mean, it's they went for to give the game a unified title, I guess. Um, one of them's named uh, Shalot, and the other is Shalistera, so they're both named Shally for short. And they have little dialogue portraits that differentiate between who's speaking to help. But of the two, um, there's the one who is trying to restore her village's water source, and then there's one who is just basically trying to make it big and get rich. Um, and she's living in a poor part of town, and she's trying to support herself and her mom, and all she does is pick up trash, and like she's just trying to, to make a better life for herself. And she has the more slice-of-life story, um, and you get to choose at the beginning which one you want to follow more closely. They both meet up. But the, I, I like that you have two two options for how you want to um, experience the game's narrative. And what I was saying before about the more somber atmosphere, that's that manifests in the musical score because you were asking how it is. There's a lot more um, piano and kind of plaintive violin. And there's a melody that plays on the screen where you select which of the two characters you want to play as. And I left it there for like half an hour because I liked it so much, and because I was having the usual terrible bout of indecision, like, oh, who do I want to play as? Um, anytime I get that kind of option. Star Ocean 2, I'm looking at you, like, Claude Arena, Claude Arena, I don't know. Um, 
but I, I haven't played a ton of it. I've probably put like two hours into it, um, so I can't can't tell you too much yet. But I'm digging on it, and I I like the um, the music. I like the atmosphere. This one has a 360 degree camera, which is new for the series. They've always had these pre rendered, well not pre rendered. They've always had fixed camera angles. Um, so as you can imagine, like PS2 era RPGs, there will be uh, you'll just see a pers- like a certain perspective, and then you move through that area accordingly. And this one has like full areas that you can actually rotate the camera around. And I think it makes the world seem bigger and it's a more interesting world than any other Atelier game, at least so far, because in the very beginning you're sailing across a sand ocean because all of the water has dried up. Um, and these areas are dead and they're like, oh, we have to scavenge for plants and stuff. So I think it's it's hooking me more than previous games in the series right away. That really sounds wild arms three is like the sand ocean and stuff. Gosh. Yeah, like Logaya. Like yeah. I, I, sorry, I just like it when anything is like Wild Arms three. See, I, <laughs> right? I was thinking Dragon Quest, but that's that's just me. Which one? Uh, wasn't it in Dragon Quest eight? You needed like a ship to kind of cross. Uh, my, well, eight you had a wagon. Yeah, but I, there was some part in eight where you had to get like Go for a... that wagon, your dragon. It means God. I like your butt. Did you play Breath of Fire four? There's that in Breath of Fire four where they have sand oceans. I don't know, but it sounds like you like it. I do like it so far. I've, like I said, I'm not very far, so I can't give you really detailed impressions. But it is a lot better than the other game that I'm playing for review. Oh boy, mm-hmm. I, we, mm-hmm. I was hearing about this. God. Can we talk about? We can talk about that, right? It's not under embargo, is it? No. Well, I mean, I don't want to make there, you talk about it too much. But... Up for it, so. And no, it's not under embargo because I am. So there's a game that I really wanted to like, uh, based on the art, which is the only redeeming quality it has. Tokyo Twilight Ghost Hunters. This is a visual novel with strategy RPG elements. Um, I hate it, actually. Uh, so so this, this game was... Um, it came to my attention because I heard that Nobu Uematsu was working on music for it, and I was like, oh, that's cool. I like it when he branches out and does other stuff beyond like working on his uh, band, Earthbound Papas, or whatever. So... It's a, it's, it's a game about, it's a visual novel about a company of exorcists, basically, like for-profit exorcists. And you play as a generic high school student who uh, enters the company. Like, he, he transfers to a new school because, of course, he does, because Japan. And the, I know, that's reductive, I know. But he transfers to a new school and then finds out that he can see ghosts. And he gets uh, inducted into this company called Gatekeepers, and they're like, all right, we go out and we just take exorcist requests, or exorcism requests, and they take care of the ghost, and then they make money. So the game initially sets itself up with this premise, like... Ghostbusters. Yeah, it's it's Japanese high school Ghostbusters. Um, there's a, like, a mysterious ghost that appears in the beginning. She's a girl in a sundress, and she's like, you have to, she's like, save me or something, I don't know. So you're you're a little bit hooked because you're like, I wonder what the story is with her. Why can I see her? What's happening here? But then it just evolves into a series of episodic um, short stories. Like every chapter is basically like an episode of an anime. It, it to the point where it literally starts with the same intro song and that closes with the ending song as a character is like discussing what happened. But they're all these compartmentalized stories and they do not work for me at all. They're unrelated to one another. And each one focuses on a new side character who's introduced just for that episode. So oh, I hate that. Yeah, it's really bad. Like it's like it's like watching Naruto filler forever. 
Yeah. So they start, the, one of the first ones is um, there's a, a music idol, like a, a girl idol, because, again, of course there is. And she's like, oh, no, I'm hearing ghost voices at my concerts. And you have to figure out why. And then you find out who that ghost is. And then you exercise them. And then it closes out. And that's it for that character and that arc. Like, that's that's the entire game. It's just these little episodes where nothing relevant to the overall plot happens. And uh, it's it makes for a really boring, like... There, to me, like, I don't care about progressing in the game because every time I start getting invested whatsoever in what's happening, it's, like, over. And even then, it's not interesting at all because all of the characters are completely flat archetypes, like, to the extreme. I've had this problem with, uh, like, Nipponichi games in general. Um, it's why I don't like Neptunia. It's why I have problems with Disgaea these days because I think a lot of these characters are really tropey or they like, they're like, this is my trope. LOL, I'm going to go in the opposite direction to subvert it. But that's that in itself is just a trope if all they do is try to... Subvert tropes. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like I was saying with static characters. It's like, you know, I'm hoping, like, again, not, I'm not trying to change the subject, but like, you know, with Noctis and his bros, if it's just them being bros for the entire game, yeah, I like the idea of that. But you need to do interesting things with your trope. It's okay to have this, like, if you're going to have, like, the Moe character. I know what that is now. and uh, But you need to, like, do something dynamic with it rather than just be like yep i'm the pervy character i'm gonna flirt with every girl for the entire game because that is the entirety of what i am oh so ring a bell yeah and and you guys were also saying the same thing about uh rampa which was like it starts out very tropey but apparently it gets oh, away that from that awesome job of, of breaking that mold immediately yeah it kind of plays with your expectations there a little bit which i i find you know kind of hilarious i think that's great yeah it's fantastic well so tokyo twilight ghost hunters does not do that at all it's <laughs> what you see is what you get and it's what you tremendously get like mind-numbingly boring and predictable um i like i've not identified with the gas of characters less because you one of the first characters you meet is the sundere class president ice princess who does nothing but just she, she does everything you would expect her to. She's like, hmm, it's not like I wanted to help you anyway, Babaka. And she does, like, the hair flip, and she gives you cold shoulder, and it's... Getting annoyed just hearing about this. Yeah, it's just, like, it's so tropey and boring, and I'm not... I'm just not... I'm not feeling it. And for a visual novel, that is a critical failing. Like, yeah, like have a game the strength, that is all story. Like, the strength of the visual novel should be that it has interesting writing, not like, this game has a lot of writing. Doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> Right, and I feel I feel really bad for the localization team because it's clear to me that they put effort into the game. Like they they worked with what they had, but what they had was a steaming pile of crap. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it's honestly like one of the worst games I've played in quite a while. It is so boring, and I haven't even gotten to the reason why I really hate it because the, the writing is is bland, but it's not offensive. You know, it's just not interesting or compelling in any way. What's really crappy is the battle system. So this has it has a battle system, which I actually didn't know before I played it. And you're exercising ghosts, and this um, the system is like you have this thing called the Ouija pad, and you have these really plain-looking little squares. And it's it's a really minimalistic sort of thing, and it's like you see icons that represent each of your people and each of the... Uh, you can see the environment, but you can't see the ghosts unless you place specific like um, EMF transmitters that can sense electromagnetic waves, which means ghosts are there. I'm doing a bad job of explaining this because it's kind of hard to, uh, without seeing 
a schematic. But basically, the entire battle system is based, is based around prediction and random guessing. So, because they're ghosts, you can't see them, which makes sense. But everything... So, it's turn-based, but everybody acts at the same time. You give your characters commands. You're like, okay, I want to go over here and hit this enemy. And then you execute. Everything happens at once. Your characters move. The ghosts move. You have to predict where the ghosts are going to be and hit them out, like on the when they're in that slot. If they bump into you, it stops your movement path, and you get hit, and you like lose your turn, basically. You only have a certain number of turns. You have a finite number. And the entire thing is just random guessing. Like, If you place certain traps on the field, you can see the ghost's possible movement range, but... The best you can do is like have your characters kind of surround that area and each try to hit a portion of the ghost movement range just in case they happen to move into that area. Like it is so obnoxious. I cannot tell you. Like I, I lose battles because I just I literally just guessed wrong. So there, this- it sounds like unlimited saga where there's no actual tactical consideration. It's just like, well, I sure hope this works out. There there are some tactics in that before you begin a battle, you have a, a screen where you can set traps. Like, you can set um, traps that will damage the ghost or limit their movement range in some way. But, I mean, it still comes down to there's there's nothing you can do aside from guess. Like, that's that's it. That's the, the end point of your strategy. You can plan around it as much as possible, but then you guess at where the enemies are going to be. And at least Unlimited Saga had a good soundtrack to back it up, because this game has a really boring soundtrack. <laughs> now, yeah. you have, now you have... Officially lost me. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty awful. Um, I didn't want to hate it so much. It it looks really pretty. It has this. Uh, I don't know if you guys had ever seen any of the stuff. Like I think the first game I saw that did it was Trinity Universe, but this that style where you have like the two D portraits that animate kind of minimally. Like you'll have a character portrait that looks like it's just a static drawing, but their hair is kind of flowing in the wind. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Or they'll, yeah, they'll, like, move their arms around a little bit and, and blink and stuff. And it looks really, really nice. But that's, I mean, that's all it's really got going for it. Like, it has, it also has tiny little cut-ins where sometimes a character will do a more dynamic animation. But they repeat a lot, so it's obvious that their budget was pretty limited and they were like, let's just try to use these as much as possible. Like, there's a guitar player character who is just a guitar player and, like, that's his entire personality. Um, and... The first time he appears, it shows him, like, make a riff on his guitar, and it looks really cool. And I was like, oh, what a neat cut-in. And then they use that same riff, that, that same cut-in, like, four times. Um, every time he plays his guitar, and it's like... Uh, so okay. all their budget went to that. Yeah. So I'm not doing a, a really good job, I think, of explaining this game, but it's uh, it's one of the more boring games I've played in quite a long time, and I can't wait to be done with it. Look on the bright side, in nine days... Well, you'll be type zeroing. Yeah. Super excited about that. Oh, Rob, can you tell everybody what you wrote on Facebook about um, yeah. Final Fantasy XV's demo? <sighs> all right, all right. I said before that I would probably play. I would want to play Type Zero first, and then the demo after. But now with all the hype and everybody getting all excited for the Final Fantasy XV demo, I will probably play the demo first. Who wants to take bets that Rob doesn't like it? I don't think that's fair at all. I Rob, so. I think you are going to find a few mechanics or a few wrinkles in mechanics that drive you insane. With the 15 demo. 
That's I do. But this is coming. Like, from I think you're going to be like, well, played it a- either. No, I haven't played it. I'm I'm just making a prediction. I'm making a prediction, and I'll admit I have no empirical evidence to back this up other than patterns. Patterns. But what's previous the- behavior? I mean, yeah. I, so what you guys are saying is that I always find things to be critical about with games. I'm not saying that that's not justified. I'm not saying that, for example, you're not wrong about Dark Souls 2 having a problem with the vertical detection. Because you're not wrong about that. Sure. But I I do think you have, and I love you, and I respect you tremendously, and you're a great person. I think you have a tendency to, to fixate on little things and let them break the experience for you. And we've had this discussion before, so that's not like... No, I think that that's definitely true. What, what ends up happening is I, I start losing the forest through the trees. Like, I, I start to focus on the individual aspects that really drive me up a wall. The problem is when a game is built around those aspects and I keep running into them. It's like, it's like what we talked about at the beginning of the show. If there's one section in a game that sucks, I can go, all right, I got to grip my teeth. I got to get through this, whatever. You got well, you like, you like the evil within. So, I mean, of course you can get through it. Right. Because but that, the evil within has terrible sections and great sections. Right. And that's what, that was the example I was going to use, which is like, okay, in Dark Souls, I've played that game like 10, 15 times. Okay. You guys know that. I can grip my teeth and go, all right, it's the meta chaos. I'm going to die a couple of times. I will grip my teeth, get through this, and forget that this ever happened because this section of the game sucks. The problem is when that section keeps happening or when it's like, okay, okay, this didn't work the first time. Why are you doing it again? So the evil within is great when it's you versus one or two enemies, and then there are four or five parts in that game where you have to fight 30. And it's like, okay. With the exception of that one part in the burning building. I think that part is the worst part in the entire game. I think that's one of the most exciting parts in the game. So that's that's what's funny is like because I feel like you are just barely able to survive that sequence. And when you play on hard mode, it is not barely survival. It's you have to get lucky. You have to get lucky with the number of times that they come down and the number of enemies that spawn on you because you will die over and over again. And I was able to get through it just barely on normal. But what I'm saying is, like, the evil within puts you into the same situation that doesn't work over and over again. So it does the thing where it's like, wow, this wasn't fun the first time. Let's do it again. Why are you doing it to me again? Like, you know, the turret section the, the turret section in Dead Space. That wasn't fun the first time. What made you think that I needed to do it again? We need to do it three times. I think it's only two. But I, I just remember. Rem- I, I just remember it's that part was dumb though. Yeah, it's like this is stupid. Like it's why? like this is a horror game. I don't need to shoot asteroids. Why is this in this game? Like there there is yeah. nothing fun about this. So I think if if the core gameplay is good and it's only a bad part of the game, I can look past it. It's when it's a core part of the game and maybe I have to do it over and over and over again that I'm like, okay, this isn't fun anymore. Dead Space is a perfect example. Dead Space 1 and 2 are fantastic games that have a couple rough spots that aren't very fun, but whatever, I can get through them. And then Dead Space 3 loses all of that, and its core gameplay changes to include nothing but the rough spots. Well, let me let me be, be fair and not dogpile on you, too. I have a tendency to do that sometimes, too. Like, look at, again, I bring this example up. I have been bringing it up for years. Star Ocean 3. That combat system, you have that sort of tracking where you attack and you run up, and if you're playing as Fate, you run up and you swing your sword down and up, and if the enemy's on the ground, you sort of swoosh in the air for like two seconds and you lose all control, there's nothing you can do, you can't hit enemies down, but they can hit you when you're down, uh, and that broke the combat for me. It, it made me so angry to play that game 
that when I finally got to the end, like to the plot twist, I wanted to like punch the developer in the face. Yeah. And you know, people are like, that's a minor feat, minor part of it. And it is, but it's one of like, again, it's not that I don't understand one small thing annihilating an experience for you because in your head, you just get filled with hate and rage when you think about it. And I am getting like, but (laughs) I, to, to, to bring us back around to 15, I'm just teasing you. But I, what I'm joking is that I could see you being like, oh, yeah, the way Noctis teleports new weapons out as he attacks gives you a little bit of slowdown and you get struck in between that. Because you don't like it when games have really detailed animation that is part of the combat windup, other than Dark Souls. Like, you know, you don't like how, you know, I'm climbing and I can't stop this climbing animation and I got hit while I was climbing. Yeah, uh, no, I'll, I'll agree with that. And there. from what I've seen, this game absolutely has that. Well, uh, it, it has the Noctis is winding up and you got hit. But on the other hand, it also has the if you switch to the defensive thing, you'll teleport out of the way. So right. I don't know. I, let me put it this way. I want you to love it so we can all talk about how much we love it. But I'm preparing myself emotionally for you to not like it. <laughs> see, I'm preparing emotionally that I'm going to like this better than I have liked any other Final Fantasy game for the past. When was Final Fantasy X released? 2001? I'm going to say that I will probably like this more than every Final Fantasy game that has come out since 2001. For me, the most recent Final Fantasy I've played is 14, so I'm feeling pretty good about the series. Well, that's an MMO. I don't include that. I, I don't include that. And I haven't played Type-0 yet, so that's that's on the table, but you know, wasn't a big fan of 12. We know my thoughts on 13, and they decided to make three of those I almost dropped the F-bomb. I had to stop myself. They, they, they decided to make three of them after I didn't like the first one. So, okay. Like, I'm ready to love Final Fantasy again. I'm ready to see what they do. But, you know, they're making a very action-heavy game. That's cool. I really hope they can pull it off. Because, you know what? The last time I got really excited for a kind of developer to make a big-time action game was Dragon's Dogma. And that game controls, like, absolute dog crap. So if if I'm playing an action game that controls like dog crap, guess what? I'm not going to play it. Like, I, I'm sorry, that's not going to happen. I don't think 15 is going to be Dragon's Dogma, but I have the... that Dragon's Dogma looms in the back of my mind with everything that I'm watching for 15, where I'm like... PTSD okay. right there. I mean, you it can is. have... It, it, that, that is action combat done wrong. And I, I it, it's like you were saying with Monster Hunter. I don't understand how people can like Dragon's Dogma. I, I don't get it. Well, like, I, I, I agree. I, I understand how people can like Monster Hunter, and I'm, get, and I'm getting into that. I think part of it, too, is your expectation. Like, sometimes you go into a game with the expectation of what you want the experience to be based on your understanding of it, and then it's not that, and you don't like it. Uh, it's sort of like when for the first Fable came out and people gave it twos because they're like, it's not what Molyneux promised. I can't Fable, plan- Fable 1 is a decent action RPG. I, I can't plant a seed and watch it grow for 20 years. Damn, yeah, like, Peter. if you go into Fable 1 expecting it to be an all-right action RPG, you're going to be fine. If you go in expecting the greatest game ever made, which, again, that's what he said it was going to be, then, yeah, you're going to be disappointed. But do we all agree that Dragon's Dogma was kind of poopy? Can, can we all kind of agree I mean, on I that? I didn't like it. I, I, I just think that game's... I don't, I don't want to tell anyone what they can and can't enjoy unless it's terrible, tropey writing. But, right. Uh, yeah. I just, uh, I, again, I'm super excited for 15. We're going to have it in our hands here in the next week. I'm ready to love it. You know, and, and they've already said that it's a rough demo. I mean, there have been some reports out of PAX that the game's got frame rate problems. I mean, it's, it's probably over a year away from release. I can live with that. 
I want to see what they're doing. What I want to see more than anything out of 15, and I think we're going to get it based on the previews that we've seen so far, I want to see a clear vision of what this game is. Because I do not, I do not feel with Final Fantasy XII or thirteen they ever had a clear vision. I think with 12, it got... Well, I think they came out and said that it didn't. Right. I mean, 12 was clearly a muddled game that got ripped apart behind the scenes, and I would love to see a behind-the-music special on that. 13 was a story first, gameplay second, and they... They came up. It feels like they stuck that game together with, you know, tape and and paste to try to get something to work, and they had no clear vision of what they wanted. What I want to play out of this when I play Dragon Age Inquisition, when I play Xenoblade, when I play all these big open world RPGs, which I think is what they're going for here, I see a clear vision of what they want the game to be. That's what I want to see at this. That I I, I agree. Step. That will be the first step. I agree completely, and that's actually I, – I wanted to talk about this yesterday because I live-tweeted their uh, PAX stream. I want to talk about why I'm excited for 15 because I think part of it is the people they're putting in front of cameras are Juan Hosmer and then uh, the, the lead designer. And then um, I'm going to butcher his name, but Prasert uh, Vithyakarn, I think. I, they call him Sun, so that's much easier to say. But Juan Hosmer, first of all, says that when he thinks about designing this world – he talks about he's the like the leader of the culture team. He's Malaysian, and he says, "I want when I when I when I go somewhere when I travel, I say to myself, why is this like this? Why does this economy work this way? Why do people eat this kind of food? Why do they eat this kind of food? Is it because of how you know the the, the local ecology supports this herb being grown? Like he's asking these questions. He's like, what what generates the the social construct in which people live this way. And then he, comp he brings up Back to the Future 2, which is his favorite movie. And, oh, my God, I'm just so down with that. And he says, when you think about that opening shot in Back to the Future 2, when he first go Marty first goes to the future, you get this huge panning shot of Hill Valley. You get all this crazy stuff happening. Marty is, like, blown away by it. But everybody else is just walking around like it's no big deal because that's their culture. So it's like – He's talking about how he wants you to go to towns and them not to just be like, yeah, you rested here and you bought stuff and you left. He's like, I want you to feel culture shock when you go to a town. Not like I can't get by here, but like, wow, this is there's culture here. Why is this like this? And, you know, they're talking about all these things about humanity. Like, you know, they want the four characters to sit down and camp and joke with each other and like. You know, they, they want the personalities of the character reflected in how they play. And uh, Alexa Corey. Korea, I don't know how to pronounce her name well, sorry. She wrote a really great editorial on, like, male bro intimacy type things. Like, she touched on the fact that we'd like to see more women in the game, but also that what they're trying to do is tell a story of basically, you know, male friendship. And, you know, they talk about little details in the combat. Like, if Ignis is near you, Ignis is raised to be the council and, like, the support of Noct Prince Noctis. So, like, if Noctis is about to get attacked... Ignis will, like, shout his name and run over and try to shield Noctis with his body. Or, like, Gladiolus taught Noctis how to fight, so he'll make a joke, be like, man, you're pretty good, Noctis. Who taught you how to fight? Like, you know, these things where the way they play and the way they act is actually their character. They're not just saying, Ignis was, is Noctis' counsel, so we're going to tell you that that's how it is. Rather, they, they are demonstrating it. So, like, you have these people... What's that? I was going to say, I think that's a key difference from um, Final Fantasy XII as much as I, I, I love Final Fantasy XII, but I recognize all the flaws in it. And one of the flaws, I think, is that in the non-Zodiac job system, so the, the regular Western version of the game, 
um, all of the characters can be built exactly the same way. And they have mm-hmm. a little bit of predisposition towards certain stat builds, but they actually, I mean, like, there's there's really no difference at all. And I yeah. think that it's important in a game like FF15, I almost said 14, uh, is that the characters actually, like, if, the, if they're going to define their personalities a certain way, I think it's important that it ties into the combat mechanics. So I like that. I like what yeah. you're bringing up there. No, absolutely. And, like, I, you know, I sort of have conflated two topics there with the combat, but the people leading this game, and I, I promise this is getting to your point, Rob, uh, Hasmer and Sun are, like, discussing all of these things that they are like, we have this vision for what we want this experience to be. Not everybody agrees that that should be the experience. People don't like the way that the, the party looks because they're all uh, monochromatic colors, and that, I think, is just a, a relic of having been designed by Nomura, and now he's gone, but they already have, they spent money on these designs they marketed these designs. That's that's how they look. I, I don't think that's their input. But you have these people asking interesting questions that create interesting experiences. They know what they're trying to make. And that's why I'm so excited for Final Fantasy 15 and why when people are like, you know what? We haven't had a Final Fantasy other than 14 designed by Yoshida who knew exactly what he was making that be so focused and so long. Look at Final Fantasy X. Any, even if you hate Final Fantasy X, Final Fantasy X knows what it's trying to do. Yeah. The combat system is trying to subvert nine previous entries of active combat, roughly, not all of them. It's trying to, you know, now we have voice acting, so we're trying to make our camera angles more cinematic. We have a real-time camera, unlike the last three, so we're trying to show you different framed of shots. Final Fantasy X knows what it wants to be. Final Fantasy XIV knows exactly what it wants to be. And that's why those games are so memorable. And so you have these people, Tabata and Sun and Hasmer, and I'm sure the rest of the team, they know what they're doing with Final Fantasy XV. You might not like what they're doing, and that's okay, because not everything should appeal to everybody. Right. But you want a focused experience? I'm excited because these people are telling me concrete, objective facts about what they want to create. Hasbro wants to create culture. He wants you to feel this world. They want to create, a, you know, this this dynamic of male int- intimacy that's reflected not only in the story but in the gameplay. And I think they're doing that. Well, and, and now I want to jump in here a little bit because I, I agree with everything that you say, and w- with everything you said. And I hope that you're not categorizing me in like the the hater quality here at all. And I don't think you are, but I, I just want you know the listeners to realize that no, I'm I'm super excited for this game. Yeah, no, I was just teasing you. Right, and and the, the vision thing is hugely important to me. This is going to sound like I'm going to go off on a tangent here a little bit, but I'm going to come back to it. But I have been sitting back for the past six months, so ever since E3, I have been watching the oncoming train wreck of the Order 1886. <laughs> I watched, or 1866, whatever, 1886. I watched that train wreck coming. Because you guys can go back, listen to the E3 show, and remember my comments, which, you know, I was maybe a little bit more forceful than I should have been off off mic, but it was probably for a good reason. When I played that game at E3, I knew they were in trouble. And I'm, and I'm not saying that Monday morning quarterback, and I'm not saying that to dance on anybody's grave or to say, ha, 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 I'm so smart. You guys know my policy. I love to be wrong on games. When I played that I game, at, be wrong on games too. I, I waited two hours to play that game at E3, and I walked away going, this is a PlayStation 4 launch title. This game has no idea what it wants to be. Its mechanics are antiquated to an absurd degree. It has no clue what it's doing. It just knows it looks really, really good. This is a shell of a game that has been created around a gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous engine. And I feel very strongly, you know, 
rightly or wrongly, that Final Fantasy XIII was kind of in the same category. So yeah. I watched. I watched. Thirteen at least has moments where it's fun, though. Yes. Like yes. no, and I, I I can agree with that. But I saw this train wreck coming because everybody was sitting there saying, "Oh my God, the order is going to be the greatest game ever. This is going to solidify your PlayStation Four purchase. This is the reason why you bought a PlayStation Four." Blah 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 blah. And then it came out, and guess what? It wasn't very good because that game got completely lost in what it was. You remember when they first showed it, and it was going to be you versus werewolves? There are three werewolf encounters in the entire game, and two of them are QTEs. That game had problems, okay? What I see with Bloodborne and with Final Fantasy XV and Type-0 HD is that these are games that clearly know what they are, they have a vision, and they are using the technology to reach that vision. That is why I'm excited for I am excited for these games. And you know, I, I love the cynicism right now. Like of course the day after the order came out it became, you know, can Bloodborne live up to the hype? And I'm like, you wanna know why Bloodborne can live up to the hype? Because it knows what it is. I was telling Steven the other night, like, I'm a little bummed out that it doesn't seem like they went as hardcore with the um with the kind of jumps and multiplayer that I was hoping for. But you know what? They know what they're making, and they're excited to make it. Final Fantasy XV, they are excited with what they're making. This is what they're going to do. These games have a clear vision to be a product and to be a self-contained idea. The Order is made to create a franchise. Our next game is going to be really good. Just you wait. We're going to use this technology, and we're going to make something interesting. No, 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 no. From Software and Square Enix are making two good experiences now. They're making two games that are focused on, you know, they're probably, I mean, Final Fantasy is clearly part of a franchise. You could argue that Bloodborne is as well, too. It's its own little thing. Well, it's, it's like Sakaguchi said recently uh, in an interview. He said, I don't make games with the intention of making sequels. Right. And that's where, you know, the, the cynicism right now is is very harsh. And I think rightfully so. In some respects, the order was supposed to be this big, amazing thing, and guess what? We got a launch game a year and a half into the PlayStation 4 life cycle. Oops, sorry about that. But I think that there are going to be some really good games that come out right now, and so some of the the eye rolling at Bloodborne and Final Fantasy 15 kind of pissed me off a little bit because I'm like, these are full experiences. These games know what they are, and I'm I'm really excited to see what they're going to do. I mean, Final Fantasy 15 has looked more interesting in 30 seconds of gameplay than anything in the order. You know, that's yeah. the game that people should be getting excited about, you know. Not sitting here saying, oh man, next gen's already dead, this is really bad. No, these are the games to get excited about. This is what I'm, I'm getting, at. this is the reason I bought a new system. You know, so I, I'm totally on board Final Fantasy 15. I'm ready to see it. I, I think, Steven, you hit on something very important there. I do feel like the character designs are left over from Nomura. Like, I think we kind of had to pick up all the scraps on the floor and make them work. I would love if they would go back and redesign the costumes at the very least. But you know. that, that's the thing is, again, yeah, I, I wanted to make that point. I don't think the facial, the characters have a problem. I think the problem is that in terms of design and aesthetics, I get that they're going for fantasy based on reality, and a lot of people from Insomnia dress that way. And maybe they'll justify it in the game. The problem is that visually, think about the box art for Final Fantasy... Uh, Final Fantasy VIII, Final Fantasy IX, Final Fantasy X. Those all... Or, or even twelve. Whether or not you like those box arts, there is color all over them, and it's primarily because they're just pictures of the cast. Look at the cast of Final Fantasy IX. Every character is a different primary color. Queen is pink and white. 
<laughs> versus Zidane's blue and yellow or versus Steiner's gray and like dark black. You know, you have these people who visually there is a distinction. And so, yeah, in real life, people don't wear clothes that visually, you know, distinguish. I mean, sometimes they do. But, you know, that it's not like you hang out with your friends and you coordinate what you're wearing. So that way, you know, you all look different colors and you're visually interesting. I mean, I do, but I'm the aberration here. (laughs) But, you know, so I get the idea with the reality behind it. But the thing is, this is a video game. So when you have people running around, especially when they're all wearing black, even if you look at the details in their clothes, they're very detailed and unique looking. But again, black is a color that just sort of blends it all together as in terms of clothing. So like they all just sort of look like they're wearing black shirts and pants. Uh, And that's not necessarily the case. And that's why I wish that, you know, the clothing had more visual color variety to it, because then you could identify them more readily. Because they all have fairly muted hair colors. You know, there's no, you know, none of them have blue hair. Uh, and, you know, they oh, all have normal faces. Now, I'm going to ask a question, and this is going to sound like I'm trolling, but I don't mean to. Okay, Th- this is how I feel as a gamer right now. Because I- I've talked about how I'm, like, open world gamed fatigued right now. Like, I have no desire to play another open world game. You know, I, I know, Steven, maybe someday we'll play Saints Row 3 together, and it'll be a lot of fun. But I have played so many open world games... I don't care anymore. Like, I've had enough. And now you have this growing subgenre, I think, of open-world role-playing games, where you have, like, your Fallout, your Elder Scrolls, Xenoblade, uh, Dragon Age, Inquisition. And now we're going to get... We just got Dragon Age Inquisition. We have Xenoblade Chronicles X. We have The Witcher 3. And we have Final Fantasy XV. I think there's enough room for these games, but how do they differentiate themselves enough? I mean, we've we've joked that, yeah, there are a lot of fetch quests in Dragon Age Inquisition, but there's a lot of really good quests. I think there's going to be some fetch quests in Witcher 3. I mean, I, I really, I very strongly believe that. There's going to be some kind of fetch quest that, you know, maybe doesn't add enough to the story that, you know, we maybe want it to. Xenoblade had a lot of fetch quests, and I'm sure they're going to be in Xenoblade Chronicles X. Do we run the risk right now of having four very similar games coming out so close to each other, and there's the looming Fallout 4 announcement, which, you know, put money on it, that's going to be Sunday night before E3. I I think we're going to get a Fallout 4 announcement. Do you guys think that we could run into a problem here where there's not enough to differentiate these games? I mean, is this even a bad thing? I I definitely think that there is the risk of there being too much open world. Because, again, I love Dragon Age Inquisition, and I think the narrative explains these tasks well. Some of them are pretty, you know, repetitive. And, again, I know I'm sort of being hypocritical here because I hate checklisty type things. Yet I've been playing Guild Wars 2 lately, and I'm actually really enjoying it. And the map exploration is great, but it is also a little checklisty. So I think for me, what I'm revising that statement to say, I don't hate checklists. I hate checklists that feel like... Assassin's Creed, Ubisoft, and I'm going to rail on them because I hate that series. It's cynical, like, we have to build this area to have five different towers. Um, And, you know, that could even be the philosophy behind some of these other world games. The differentiation for me is that in Dragon Age Inquisition, A, I was engaged in my characters. B, I was engaged in building those characters in terms of their gameplay efficacy. I was interested 
in the meta narrative reason for me going and helping these places out because I'm making a name for the Inquisition. So yes, and I know you know Kyle doesn't agree. He thinks these tasks are still menial, but they don't. He doesn't like the story, so that's where that is. I enjoyed the story of Inquisition, so for me, I was able to put co- context on these actions, and that's the thing too is. I was railing on Xenoblade side quests. I did all of them. And I kept saying, I told you guys as recently as the last show, oh, I'm not going to do it even they're terrible. They're dumb. I did all of them. I did every side quest I could possibly do in one playthrough. Because once I started getting into the narrative, I was like, all right, yeah, I'm powering up Shulkin friends. Even if it's just that excuse in my own head, I still had fun because I was enjoying, and this is the, the last part, the combat. If you make me want to build these characters up and give me reasons to build these characters up, then yeah, maybe I will engage in this checklist content because if there's a meta narrative or a narrative in my head that I can create and the combat is supporting me wanting to do this content, like if the content itself is fun, then I don't mind doing it. Because in Assassin's Creed, going and climbing towers is not fun. Sneaking and doing weird broken stealth crap is not fun. The individual actions that you do that make up content in Assassin's Creed, and I'm using content in the most cynical way I can in that sentence, is not fun. It's soulless. Whereas in, you know, in a game like Xenoblade, even though there are sort of menial fetch quests, which again, to be honest, they're sort of, you just do them as you're doing everything else in the area anyway, and exploring, it's worthwhile. It's enjoyable. You know, the, the, the game is its own reason for having this content. It's fun to do killing quests in Xenoblade because you're doing other stuff. You're seeing cool environments. You're seeing this unique, interesting take on a world that is two giants. And so experiencing that is part of the fun. So I think there is room for this. And the way they do that is by justifying why there's there. I don't, it's okay if you're going to have checklist content. In, In theoretical principle, I don't like it. But if you can justify it and make it fun, then I'm okay with it. And again, I, I'm sort of really dogging on Assassin's Creed, and I know a lot of people like that. And I apologize if it sounds like I'm crapping all over your taste. I just I find that that series is the pinnacle of soulless, cynical, it exists for the sake of existing, and my, our core mechanics are not good. So doing all of these things with it aren't fun. It's sort of the complaint you have with Infamous, Rob. You, you don't find the core mechanics good enough to warrant doing fetch, fetchy type things. I actually do, but I appreciate where you're coming from with that. If it's not fun to do anything and to do the most basic action in the game, combat, the most basic action in Xenoblade in Dragon Age is fun. So, of course, I want to go do things that get me into more combat. And that's how I think that these games can all differentiate, and they seem to be. Xenoblade X, Witcher... Final Fantasy, they all have these interesting combat systems and other things going on that make me want to engage in this, what would on the surface be checklisty content. Good job, Stephen. I applaud that description. I agree with every word. <laughs> okay. Including, including I, I, don't, I don't like Assassin's Creed for the exact reasons that you outlined. I still think Assassin's Creed 2 was fine. That was, you a, know, that was a good game. Again, you know, that might have, you know, I don't want to say that was before they were cynical, but... You know, Assassin's Creed 2 was a lot fresher. So at that point, it wasn't a thing that they had, you know, turned into a formula. Right, right. And, I, you know, I think it's going to be a very interesting game of the year uh, deliberation when we get there because we're going to have some really big heavy hitters. And wow, I, that is a good point. I just forgot. We have a, we have The Witcher, a Final Fantasy, a new uh, Xenoblade. Well, we're going to have Type 0. I don't think we're going to have 15. No, that's what I mean. And Type okay. 0 is a great game. Of course, considering... I think Game Informer and like three other sites did a what are you most excited for this month and they didn't even list Type-0. So I'm guessing Type-0 is going to get brushed under the rug. 
it's gonna. It, it's I'm also calling it out. It's gonna get eights. They're just everybody's focused on the demo. It's just like yeah. I yeah. mean, I don't. I don't think it's quite to the same level as uh, Metal Gear Solid Zone of the Enders, but um, that that's a whole other level because Zone of the Enders was barely a game, <laughs> and that true. was a that was a two hour tech demo. Zone of the Enders two was fantastic. Oh, but... oh, two's fa- two is phenomenal. That, I thought Zone of the Enders one was fun. For yeah, the it, seconds it is I fun. It's just two hours long. Yeah. yeah. Um. And I think you're right. I think the demo is going to kind of shine a little bit brighter, which is a little disappointing. I'm I'm certainly excited to play Type Zero. Well, you know what I think it is. Uh, and even they said in their pack stream, they were like, "We read a lot of people who were just buying Type Zero to play the demo, and that's okay. But we really would like you to play Type Zero as well." They're like, "Hey, this is a game that we put a lot of effort into, and it's a great game." The problem is that you have Type Zero, which we sort of is not an unknown element. People have said Type Zero is good, even though again, I maintain it's going to score eights. Um. People know it's good. There's no mystery with Type Zero. We know, oh, yeah, this game is good. People want to play it, and they did this with it. 15, everyone's like, what the hell is this thing? And right. it's not like Duke, Duke Nukem Forever where, you know, that came, that came out, and it was awful. Yeah, like, and, and this is also not a game that's been in full development for 10 years. This is a game that has been... In the consciousness for 10 years. Yes, but not. exactly. It, it was not in full development, so this is not a Duke Nukem Forever type scenario but the problem is that everybody will view it as a duke nukem forever type scenario oh my god final fantasy 15 has been in development for you know a decade no it hasn't it has been in the concept stage for probably about eight years and then it finally started to move forward i mean that's just the way it is and here it is and it looks pretty damn excellent and i'm certainly excited for it i just can't wait for when kyle and i have to be put into a room and we're gonna have to fight about bloodborne versus witcher 3 because that's that's the argument that we have been waiting to have again for four years those even those aren't comparable at all though but it's no it goes back to game it's gonna happen it's just like with dragon age no it's gonna go back to game of the year dark souls versus witcher 2 and and there's still that that still has not been put to rest in my mind well in that case open debate in that case it's because we had people going well I've only played one of these, but Dark, Dark Souls sounds like a kind of game I wouldn't like, so I vote Witcher. Well, I think Witcher 2 was a great game. It, it really was, and I think it got a hell of a lot better the further it went. But I, I, I think we had some very strong voices in the Dark Souls camp, and we, we were... We were not heard, but that's okay. That's part That's part of what's fun about Game of the Year, is that sometimes you don't even know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, if, if can we have a little behind the, the curtain here? Who was the guy who advocated for Kingdom Hearts 2.5 HD to win Remake of the Year? Who was the guy? Other than Steven? Or... Who was the one that did a recount on the vote and it Derek, ended up... Rob wants you to say, Derek, Rob would like you to say Rob. Yeah, well, I know that, but... Yeah! That that was me, because I was the one sitting there going, look, look, I love Valkyria Chronicles, but let's be honest here, 2.5 is ridiculous. Like, it is two full games, and the narrative of another game, it's kind of got to win. Like, there's no way it can't win. And everyone was like, yeah, okay, that's pretty good. And and then I had to put on the message board, I can't believe I just advocated for Kingdom Hearts. I feel like I need a shower. I can't wait till we're recording about Kingdom Hearts 3. Uh, you mean in three years? <laughs> I think we'll be recording about it in like two. Honestly, Kingdom Hearts three is completely removed from my mind until Final Fantasy fifteen comes out. Like, I, I feel just... like Kingdom Hearts three was more real until we saw Final Fantasy fifteen because they actually showed like something, and then it's like, nope, fifteen's coming out first. Well, oh, you know what's that... funny is Square Enix and anna- like remember when Kingdom Hearts two came out, they were like, we announced KH two too soon. Oh yeah. Uh, and then they're like, we shouldn't do that again, and then they sort of did it again. 
But in this case, they did it again because people were like, is it ever coming? Well, it was also a big deal with the, the new consoles. Like, it, it was huge to announce that, you know. Well, and, and they've also said we're going to see stuff from Kingdom Hearts 3 this year, so. Yeah. How about that uh, Final Fantasy VII uh, remake? Is that, that going <laughs> to... Is it going to happen? Uh, I, I couldn't tell you if it's going to happen. I think uh, never. I, I think seven might be done. Uh, I think seven's kind of the the redheaded stepchild that's just been beaten to death at this point, which is a real shame because I do love seven and all of its you know bat crap bonkers zaniness. Like that game is so nineties, like it hurts. It, it's like Evangelion all over again. Like this thing's it's very much a product of its time. Yeah, this thing spiraled completely into nonsensical hilarity, and then Square Enix spent the better part of just a decade, almost two now making more and more titles with Final Fantasy VII in the title and actually diluting what made that game so special in the first you know, place. Speaking of which, G-Bike never came out here, did it? And it's it's supposed to still. Yeah, and that frustrates me. Although I would really like it if they just made G-Bike a minigame in fourteen. Yeah. Might as well. You got the gold saucer for it now. I mean, yeah. Well, people have been asking about snowboarding, actually, and Yoshida's yep. like, I like snowboarding, so maybe I'll add that. So, place your bets. When are we going to get the full release of 15? I'm going to say summer next year. I'm going to say, like, early spring next year. Because I think... Oh, speaking of... Okay, give your answer first. But I also want to know if you guys think Persona 5 is actually going to come out this year. Because now I'm thinking no. Oof. Oof. I think maybe in Japan at the end of the year. I could see, like, December. Like, first week of December in Japan. If they're localizing it fast. I mean, that's the thing, is that we don't have to typically wait for localizations like we used to, you know, back in the olden times, where, you know, we got, uh, I I can't even think of a bad localization part right now, but I know they're all there. Uh, But I think if they are working on the localization of Persona 5 in tandem, which would be nice... Sometimes we get fast localizations, other times we get Bravely Default and Xenoblade. Mm -hmm. well, no, Xenoblade was a whole other issue, which was, yeah, it's out everywhere else but the territory that really wants it. That, that's, well, I mean, I think every territory really wanted it. Right, but it was, correct me if I'm wrong, that was released in Europe, uh, what, a yeah. year before we got Yeah, long before U.S. Yeah, I mean, it was all... No announcement either for a really long time. Yeah, and it, it had been fully localized. Like, it was done. It that's that's why Green that me out so much, yeah, because it was like, it exists in a fully playable form in English. Yeah. And that that one Nintendo guy who became the bane of everyone when he was like, we have no plans to localize in the U.S. Yeah, he was, like, going to be killed. Uh, also, this is, uh, what are we coming up on? We're coming up on, like, the one hour, 40 minute mark. I want this to be a thing at every podcast until it finally happens. This is my open plea to Square Enix to please release Dragon Quest Seven on 3DS in the West. Please, for the love of God. Please, please, please! I, I will, I will build churches in your honor. Um, Where we will happily buy Theater Rhythm Dragon Quest if you release actual Dragon Quest. I will buy Theater Rhythm Dragon. I still need to buy Theater Rhythm. I still need to do that. I think you would actually really enjoy Theater Rhythm. I liked it. I I liked it when I played it at E3, and it kind of got me all uh, nostalgic. Like I was, I was kind of like, oh, I I remember these these tunes. I started my project of triple S'ing everything, and it is going quite swimmingly, although it also is time-consuming. Are you playing the Dark Souls of Theater Rhythm? Is that what you're yes, talking Yes, he is. I am playing the Dark Souls of Theater Rhythm. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So, yes, I, w- I would really like... I-, I keep saying it over and over again that I would I would love to get uh, Dragon Quest 3DS uh, here in America. Uh, Dragon Quest 7 3DS, because I really want to play that. 
I really, really want that. And uh, we're getting Dragon Quest Warriors, or Dragon Quest Heroes, sorry. Dragon Quest... Yeah, didn't, didn't you say that you thought that wasn't going to come out here? Or no? I, pr- I think I said that... You know, I probably did say that, that I didn't think it was going to come out here, and Square Enix just continues to baffle me with their decisions. Um, I'm guessing because they don't... That obviously doesn't have as much to localize as Dragon Quest Seven. Uh, right. The, yeah, that game is that seven is huge, extremely text heavy. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, they the one guy at Square Enix was saying it would take them upwards of a year to localize Seven. I just don't think they're going to do it. I don't, I don't think it's going to be a good enough. Uh, it wouldn't be a commercial success for them, and yeah, and yeah. that kills me because I I love Dragon Quest and I'd love it to come here, but. It really bothers me, too, because it, it seemed like they were going to do it because there was a, a trademark for kind of... You know how they do their, like, Sentinels of the, the Stars? Yeah, yeah there, there was something that sounded very Dragon Quest and seemed to play into Seven a little bit, and it kind of looked like the planets were going to align, but I think they've been so snake-bit on Dragon Quest. Like they, I, I actually think... Uh, I, I think that... Well, occasionally. <laughs> I don't think... Nah, you don't think, sir? No, nah, I don't, never. I think um, I actually think we are going to see that game. I think it's going to be another one of those cases where they actually end up doing it for the goodwill more than the fiscal outright outreach. And I know it sounds crazy to say a company would do that, but Square Enix is very conscious of their image right now. Yeah, yeah. very conscious of it, and they've been passing around that survey that's like, "What do you want?" And it's you know, everyone on Twitter is like Dragon Quest, even though I just want a Xenogears remake, but. That's what I want. Seven doesn't need a remake. Xenogears does, but uh, <laughs> but I think uh, I, I, I actually my think brain is melting right now. <laughs> I don't know how to comprehend that. I think we're gonna get DQ Seven. I think they are gonna be better about releasing those here. They haven't been in a while, but I I I, I don't know why. I just I feel like we are going to get that. Game. Didn't not, Nine sold very well, didn't it in America? Like it sold fine. No. I thought I, it- I think it's tough because they they want it's one of those things like this is so popular here why can't we make it super popular over here you know well, what I mean sort of like how Metroid does way better here than it does elsewhere yeah yeah and it just I, I think you're right on the the consciousness part of Square Enix like they're they're realizing that they kind of you know the last console generation I think it's fair to say it was rough they it, are they're realizing the mammoth force of positive opinion especially with social media around like it's still it's still funny for people to go oh square enix they're nickel and diming us but that is slowly changing i feel yeah people are slowly like wait a minute they are doing what we want well and a final fantasy release used to be an event like that that was what everybody got out of the way of it, it wasn't call of duty it was like oh man final fantasy you know 8 is coming out september 9th you know the same day as the dreamcast have fun with that like Except square enix they didn't get out of the way and then they're like oh oops final fantasy 8 spent all of xenogears money yeah but it, it's like they it used to be a real event and I, I will say that i think the past two final fantasy games with uh lightning returns and final fantasy 13 2 those kind of were like, yeah, they kind of happened. Not not a whole lot of excitement. Maybe that says something more about the shifting tone in video games. But you know, then fourteen came out, and that was a BFD. And now Heaven's it just hit four million. Yeah, it's not, like it's it's one of the love only it. MMOs other than yeah, Wild. Love it. Yeah, it's like look at ESO went free to play. 
World of Warcraft, I mean, that's going to be a, jar- a gargantuan giant forever. But, like, look at how many games tank in that space. And they are... They got they're it. not they're not hitting wow numbers, but they're hitting insane numbers for themselves. Yeah, and it's a subscription based. They're the one subscription one that has survived. Besides, well, you Warcraft. know what? It's like I said months ago. Yoshida goes, someone says, "How dare you charge a subscription fee in this era of free to play?" And he's like, "When you make a game that's free to play, you create a game for which there are ways you can monetize. It's not a I'm creating an experience first, which people are paying for. It's I'm creating a content farm that i can monetize costumes i can monetize here's an xp booster yep that sort of thing um you know i've been playing guild wars 2 and i like that but again that game has a lot of like you bought an xp booster or you bought uh, a charge to change your hairstyle final Fantasy 14 has like a fantasia potion and and it has like premium stuff like server transfers but by and large by subscribing to final fantasy 14 you know you're getting a bunch of new stuff to do every three months well i I think with uh, Square Enix kind of learning, and we've we've been very positive on them for the past year, um, that gives me hope that maybe Capcom can do the same thing. I I know Steven thinks I'm nuts, but... not very optimistic about Capcom. uh, You know, we we got the Resident Evil remake, and I never would have thought that was going to happen, and it seems to have done well for them. Maybe they'll... Maybe they'll listen. Maybe they'll see the Mighty Number 9 numbers when that finally gets released, and, you know... (sighs) <sighs> I don't know. I, I'm not sure there's anything... Well, I mean, there there are things Capcom could do to win back my favor. They won't do those things. That's the problem. I would have said I also that... still think Mighty Number no. 9 looks like crap, and I'm surprised... Oh! That I, uh, yeah, I agree. Mighty Number no. 9 did not visually live up to what the, the concept art. Like, I really hope that the game is fun, because it is ugly as balls. Yeah, like that game has really simplified. uh, You know, I mean, like I've had various thoughts about Ben Number Nine over the last uh, however long, how long it's been since it was in production. So like a year, year and a half, and I started out really optimistic, and my opinion has waxed and waned. But right as of right now, like the the really reductionist version of my feelings about Money Number Nine is just it looks like garbage. I just think it looks looks like a free to play mobile game. Yep. Like. It's like flat textures and bland colors and effects. Like it just looks like it looks cheap. It doesn't like Inti creates creates gorgeous two D artwork, and this is not reflective of their talent. Yep. Wow. Um, I hope that maybe they can polish it up with some lighting and make it look a little better. And again, if the game plays great, fine. It's like Mega Man powered up or uh, Mega Man Maverick Hunter X. It's just no, that was a, perfect. A, a, like that powered up was was super fun so it was maverick hunter x and those were the same kind of like engine like the 2.5d engine thing happening. and like and they were and sort they of they were sort of ugly but they were fun yeah but they they still looked better than money number nine i still i like the, yes, the, the style of both of those better than i like nine because i hate like the the engine it's running on is just but ugly to me i can't stand it it's yeah i agree wow apparently i need to go really look more I gotta I'm, go look more at my number nine. Wow. Mega Man like to the ends of the earth, and I feel like this is this was their attempt at at like rebranding Mega Man for a new generation and and launching a new series. And I feel like it just crapped upon all of my hopes and dreams. And I, and I I don't know how well it's going to be received, but I feel like if it's not well received, they'll do the exact same thing that they did with Resident Evil and be like, well, people don't want Mega Man, so guess we're not going to make another one ever again. Like, no, just because you botched the hell out of this game. That's why we don't want it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, you know, but again, I, like I hope it's fun. Indie creates, but still. 
I just I yeah, visually I feel like they've sort of flubbed it. And I, I do I do not like the whole woo, we are made contracts for merchandise and a cartoon and all this stuff. It's like why don't you make a game that's good first? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Get some more money for voice acting. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm sorry I brought up Mighty Number no. Nine. I thought I thought it looked okay. Jeez, maybe hire somebody you're wrong. from the ridic- Yeah, maybe you could take some of that money and hire somebody from the Ridiculous Museum to get rid of those graphics. I don't know. <laughs> Jesus. Well, I mean, I I would just like to see Capcom kind of figure it out. Um, you know, I've I've been on such a big Resident Evil kick lately, like replaying it on my Vita and playing the remake and and playing two, and I'm like, man, these games still hold up. They're still really fun. There's and they also have something that I I want to spend more time talking about it on maybe a future podcast because I think it's a real big discussion that we could have. It, it plays into why like Alien Isolation. I never got into it. I am so sick and tired of games telling me to go somewhere and press a button to continue the story. Like go here because I told you to. Like press X to Jason. Well, no, it's not press S to X to Jason so much as it is you need to go to this room because something that is not even part of the gameplay, like Dying Light did this too. Like you have to get to the top of the tower because then your character will pull out his radio and talk to somebody, and that will keep the 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 narrative going. Like when I'm playing Resident Evil, and it's like, wow, I need the crank because I need to get into this one room. Oh, I found the crank. Now I need to go back to the room. Like. It is creating reasons for me to do what I'm doing in the world that makes sense with the world that is created. I actually think the Souls franchise is really good about this, too. Like, you get a key, and that key unlocks this part of the room that you have to get to. Like, Well, it's like I said earlier with give me reasons to do this content that are both supported from the gameplay standpoint and, you know, from a narrative standpoint. Right, and I, I think games have gotten really... I, I, I can't put my finger on what it is that did it, but, like, I, I think maybe the Batman games have done a really good job of maintaining this, but, you know, give me reasons for why I'm going to these areas in your world other than to continue the narrative. Yeah, because reason. Yeah, and, and, and I... It's a really hard subject to talk about, I think, but I'm I'm just really fed up with I'm following my map because that's what's telling me to do something. Like, I can't tell you half the stuff I did in Skyrim because the, the pointer said go here and press X when you get here to, you know, poison this or pick up this or, or throw this switch. Like, it, it doesn't hold any meaning for anything that I'm doing in the game. You know what doesn't hold any meaning are the 4,000 things I keep doing in Animal Crossing. <laughs> and I can't stop. And I've yet, been playing it the whole time we've been Animal recording. Animal Crossing is a unique beast, though. Animal Crossing is the ultimate waste-your-time-and-life simulator that I just never want to stop playing. It's like, oh, yeah, what'd you do today? Oh, I caught a butterfly. <laughs> I found some apples. You sure did. Uh, I went to an island and listened to a sea shanty. Uh, like I got stung game. by a bee and then looked ridiculous for a week. <laughs> and then a hippo person came over and told me I had crappy art. I must continue. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay, okay. Are we ready to move on to news, people? Sure. A lot of discussion this week. I think I think we're all ready for for new games to come out. I think the next couple episodes are going to be pretty uh, pretty spectacular. Well, my, uh, my reviewable of Type Zero is en route at this exact moment. So the next time we record, I will at that point it'll be two weeks. I will probably have beaten and reviewed it. So. Yep, we'll probably do an episode right before Bloodborne comes out, and then. Uh, and then we'll do an episode after because I, I want to have a whole episode devoted to 15 and Type Zero. 
I think there's going to be a lot of chatter on 15. And yeah. I, 15 is the kind of game that I know some of our old hats are going to hate. They're going to be like, this is different. And again, it's okay. You know, you know what you want in a game, and you should know what you want. I feel like 15 is going, like every entry in the series, is going to be like, this is not what I wanted Final Fantasy to become. And that's an acceptable critique. Yeah. I strongly doubt I'm going to be one of those people. I'm excited. I'm mad excited. Steven, do you want to talk about uh, your studio visit for Guild Wars 2? Probably. That's not a bad idea. I forgot that we did that. Uh, yeah, that was the, uh, you know, we, we occasionally get to go and, you know, see games before they're out. Uh, I went and visited ArenaNet in Bellevue, Washington uh, to see Heart of Thorns, uh, the new Guild Wars 2 expansion, a game which I have gone on record numerous times saying was my biggest MMO disappointment ever. Uh, and since that visit, um, which was wonderful, um, the game was good enough that it made me reinstall Guild Wars, and I have now convinced two of my friends, Mike from the website, I guess, who's also my friend, but I you know, just wanted to specifically say him because you know him, my roommate, and my brother, to all start playing Guild Wars 2 with me again. So what I saw was pretty good. Um, you know, it's just... A lot of passionate people there, and, you know, we talked about, you know, the game, they're not, they're, they're trying to do what they did with the original release, where they are trying to subvert MMO genre conventions. Um, so there's no new tier of gear, for example, like most MMO expansions, here's a new tier of gear. You killed the bunny rabbit. It is now better than the Lord Slayer God Beast weapon that you had after 4,000 hours in the, the early game. But don't worry, this new bunny sword has way better stats. There's none of that. There's also no raised level cap. Uh, what they have is a system called Masteries. And I, in my interview with uh, Matt Werfel, um, we talked about, I said, this reminds me of Zelda or Metroid. And they said, that's our inspiration. So this new area is the Maguma Jungle. And it's a very vertical zone. And rather than leveling up, now you go around the map and you collect skill points, sort of like you do existing in the game, for your Masteries. And the first mastery you get is a glider, which lets you fly around. And quite literally, you can fly around. So there'll be like hidden platforms underneath the main part of the continent that you can fly to. And there'll be like a secret quest there or something. Or as an example, I did a Wyvern boss fight with a bunch of other people who were demoing it. And I got to, as the new class, fly in on a glider onto a Wyvern and fly down into the ground and smash him with a hammer. And it was awesome. But so you get your glider, and then as you get mastery points, you'll get, for example, there's mushrooms in the environment. You get mastery points that allow you to use those for traversal, so you can bounce on them. Um, and those are just some of the examples. But the idea is that this mastery system can be extended to all future content, and even some of the old stuff, where rather than the expansion just giving you 10 more levels of arbitrary, abstracted numerical strength to get, you are getting new ways to interact with the content. So... For example, now they can create missions where you have to fly around and do stuff. They can create missions where you have to grappling hook up to something or you have to repel or do these different types of mastery things. So you're sort of getting – it's almost like in Zelda or Metroid where you get new ways of traversing the environment and that opens up new parts of the environment for you to explore and play. And this sort of gets into what I was saying earlier where the question might be why would I do those things if I'm not getting new gear? And with Guild Wars, what I'm finding replaying it, and again, this could change in a week because I'm still pretty low level, but what I found in the demo is that their content is not about get to 80 and then raid. It's about this is a world we want you to explore and have fun as you're playing it. And Rob, you've played it, and you know, you thought it got a little old, and I could see that complaint. Uh, they have changed it a lot since we played, though. Um, mm. Like, this, the way you get skills is drastically different now. Um, but 
it's fun in and of itself. The the things you're doing are cool. Like at level 15, I was wandering around a swamp, and all of a sudden, people I saw a group of players. I'm like, hey, what's going on over here? And they're like, oh, check this out. All of a sudden, like a demon from hell comes up out of the ground and starts opening hell portals. And we're doing this quest where we're having to run around and close these portals before we get overrun by demons while this giant crazy shadow behemoth is railing on us. So the so, the active the open world events are still happening, and then they're being merged with new masteries, so that like with the masteries, so that you have new ways of going about it, accomplishing like constantly happening objectives. Correct, exactly. Um, so that's the idea is that they're they're with this mastery system going forward because they do their living world stuff where it's sort of like fourteen where they they do the big content patches, but they have it's called the living the living world. It's an ongoing storyline with new areas. So now when they create this new content. Instead of going in and just getting new gear, the idea is that you're going to go in and do new things. And I really like that approach. And I, I can't tell you how it's going to turn out because, like I said in my preview and in my interview, I worry that that is not enough to sustain you over the course of a lengthy MMO. But on the other hand, you know, they, they don't know yet. They're still making it. Uh, so it's definitely something I'm curious about. It was good, What I played was good enough that it made me go back to a game that I had permanently written off and convinced five people to buy it. Yeah, and um, especially if it's good enough to take you away from 14 for a while. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, now my life just sucks because I'm split between trying to fight Odin and play Triple Triad and trying to collect skill points in Guild Wars, so my life sucks. So but yeah. It is. Um, but And then so they also introduced, I got to play their new PvP mode, which is another big part of why I played, because I like PvP in an MMO. I don't like when it's sort of random and chaotic. I like when there's learning and strategy and understanding mechanics involved. And Stronghold is basically a MOBA, but with MMO characters. And so it's this really cool back and forth where the two teams are trying to get into a base and kill the Lord. There are three gates between, and there are NPC guards. And so one person can run supply, and you use your supply to summon NPCs that walk down the lanes, just like a MOBA, archers or doorbreakers. Um, there are also hero units you can get that are really great at fighting lords. So other than just two players smashing into each other in waves... It's you're trying to complete this objective, and it's really fun. We played three matches of it there, and like I said, everywhere else, I took a picture of it. I had the highest score on my team. But uh, it uh-huh. it's this really fun sort of back and forth strategic tug of war mechanic where like people I didn't even know we were like shouting strategy to each other. It was cool. Like, oh, do we need any archers? Or what do we get up front? Do we need more door breakers? It was it was really fun, and again, a big part of why I started playing Guild Wars Two again. Um, so yeah, if you, if you wrote off Guild Wars because you played it a while ago, I can't promise you that you will like it in the long run because, again, I'm still just getting back into it. Um, but they have changed quite a bit in terms of how the game presents its content to you and how your character develops. Um, as an example, now you collect traits by doing quests throughout the world like you did in Guild Wars 1 as opposed to before where you just sort of unlocked them. Um, so I'm having a great time with it again. It's hard to say if it'll pan out, but at the very least, the expansion got me excited to try it because... They are clearly, like Yoshida, they listen to their players. Not just Yoshida, like, like the team that makes 14. I hate to be reductive. Um, so, you know, it's, it might be worth trying it again. And it's $10 for the next two days, so who knows? Uh, by the time this is out, that'll be too late. But uh, another cool part about that visit, I, I don't want to be too lengthy. Uh, I got to visit the sound studio. Apparently, I was the only nerd that asked uh, to talk to sound people. And they... Repping RPG fan music, right? Right, what's up? So I met um, McLean Deemer and James Ackley, uh, the sound director and one of the composers, because they used to have Jeremy Soule, who contracted out, but he no longer writes for them, and now they have in-house composers. And so they gave me a tour of their Foley room, which was awesome. They showed me, like, a broken television they used to make the sound of fairy dust and ice. 
They showed me a violin that they used to make like murder sounds of monsters. Uh, they sent me a cool photo of the composer spinning a toilet around and smashing it into the ground for a certain sound effect. So it was really fun as a sound geek to get to see that stuff. And then I interviewed them, which you should check all this stuff out on the feature page. And they also let us debut the theme song to Heart of Thorns. We're the only ones that have that. And, you know, it's it's cool music. So, yeah, it was a good experience, both from a, like, meeting interesting people and talking to passionate people who really believe in their game. Um, and also candid, because I was not, I was pretty honest when I was there. I was like, you know, I was I was pretty bummed by Guild Wars 1, and I haven't played in a while. And they were like, oh, you should try it. We've changed it a lot. And, you know, that could be lip service to an extent, but the fact is I did try it, and they're right. They did change a lot. So... Uh, I feel I feel good about that team, and I'm certainly interested in Heart of Thorns. We'll see where it goes. I would definitely say, though, if it's been a while, try it again. Yeah, it's nice to see a solid alternative to WoW and 14. Um, I mean, I love 14 so much. <laughs> I sure do, too. I don't see myself uh, taking time away, but, but it sounds and that's like actually, actually Yeah, that's actually a good way to look at it, too. Guild Wars 2 is really different from 14, and that's why I can yeah. entertain playing them both. Because in 14, I have a very different set of concerns for what I'm doing. And again, I don't do the relic quests. I sort of show up, do the story missions, play Triple Triad, and you know, mess around with my friends, and then I sign off. I have negative interest in grinding light or atma. Yeah, the relic quests are awful. I mean, they're they're doable for really hardcore people, and I've been like going back and forth on putting time into those quests, but they they just stress me out. I feel I feel like I was happier when I had resolved to not do it, and then I started playing really heavily again because of Triple Triad, and I was like, maybe I could do no, I really shouldn't do this. Yeah, if Don was here, he'd just tell us to play Rift again. <laughs> he would. He would. Like, just play Rift. He'd be wrong, though. Rift sucks. Um, <laughs> sorry, John, but we're right. Uh, well. Yeah, no, you know, and that's the thing is, again, I don't mean to tease on Final Fantasy XIV because I love that game. And this is sort of endemic to that type, that style of MMORPG. I have little interest in, oh, look, my weapon has two more stats. And now if the parser reads my DPS faster, the static group will let me run coil more no i have zero interest you know what i'll do i'll wait till they make coil easier and then my friends i'll run it with them and they'll teach me how to fight it fine uh and that's sort of what appeals to me in guild wars is that guild wars is structured from the ground up that it is not a gear treadmill and that skill in the content is different from time invested purely for gear and again not that that's not a good you know a, a thing that people enjoy it's just it's not for me personally yep i got you Okay, well, uh... let's remind Rob to come back now that we're talking. No, about I'm I am here. I am here. <laughs> oh, okay. I, just, I, I liked Guild Wars too. I played a lot of it, but it just it didn't hold my attention as long as I wanted it to. But it, it's still a good game. Even your flamethrower, I remember. I loved my flamethrower. It was a lot of fun. Well, as long as we're on the the MMO train right now, uh, I should mention that Final Fantasy XIV had a really big presentation or had a big presence rather at um, Ooh, PAX yes. East, which is still happening but uh they were there yesterday there was a presentation for the expansion heavensward they went over a bunch of the previously announced info and then they finally gave us a release date which was the big thing uh it is going to be coming out on june 20 oh, i should have this open sorry june 23rd and then early access on the 19th um that's going to be for pc ps4 ps3 and then mac which is releasing alongside the uh the new expansion at um, last yeah, on top of that, they announced that the uh, they're going to have a benchmark coming out next month that's going to have um, like a seven-ish minute video that you can watch 
check out your PC's performance, see how it runs the client. And this is for the new client, I think? Yeah, uh, the new DirectX 11 client. Yeah, the DirectX 11 client that has better uh, better rendered water and, and nicer textures and better mapping and stuff. And in um, theory, it should also have better performance. Yeah, which is really important. That's awesome. Thank you. So they're releasing that next month. Besides the video, it's also going to have a character creation benchmark so that you can check out the new race, the Aura, and see all the different options for them. So that'll be fun. Um, and then pre-orders are going to open for that on March 16th, which will be likely after this episode releases, so you'll have time to go down and get your copy secured. Um, I, for one, I, I know I'm going to go with the Collector's Edition. I know that you aren't as big on physical stuff these days, Stephen, but I, I want that. I, I think the dragon statue might be a little superfluous, but I I care about, like, you get a cane minion. That's so cool, like FF4. Yeah, for me, it sort of depends on what the physical is, because, you know, I'm looking over at my stupid Amiibo collection and my stupid Kingdom Hearts 2.5 collector's edition and I feel a sense of delight. So there are some physical collectibles that get me. Have yeah. you stolen Derek's Shulk Amiibo yet? No, I actually have a Shulk Amiibo I'm ordered, though. Uh, oh, I'm okay. definitely going to get him, uh, they say, by the end of May. So after that, other than Game & Watch, my collection will be complete. Nice. But yeah, so Heaven's Word finally has a release date. Really excited about that because like, we just said a few minutes ago, I'm still actively playing that. Uh, yeah, really good. the machinist looks amazing. Yeah, I'm totally into that. I loved uh, I loved the Puppet Master and Final Fantasy XI, and it was a really, it was a mechanically fascinating job to me. It wasn't super potent, but um, I loved the idea behind it. So I like that machinist's thing is that you'll actually be able to equip scopes and sight like sights and grips on your guns. Um, you'll be able to deploy turrets that have various support and attack functions. Like it, it sounds really unique and cool. So I'm, I'm down for that. Um, so I'm yeah, also Heaven, down for that. Heaven's Word's coming out. It's looking real good. Um, moving on, Atlas announced that their launch edition of Shin Megami Tensei Devil Survivor 2 is going to have some additional stuff, pretty much just along with the, the game and soundtrack that it was announced to have already. There's going to be a decal set. They'll have clear decals that have like the logos for their organization, JIPS, within the game, which is like... Oh, some stat just went up. Uh... <laughs> My I'm excitement for that, that collector's edition. Yeah, I guess so. What's the... I'm ha Nerve, Jesus. I was having a really hard time thinking of the name of the organization in Ava. So it's like Nerve. They have gyps and they have that logo. So if you want to be a cool guy and put it on your car, you can do that. Um, it's not going to cost any extra. It just comes with the game when it comes out on May 5th. So cool stuff. I love the first one. I never played the second one, so I'm super stoked to play it. And Rob, I told you already, I think you're going to love it because it, it, it does draw so many parallels to Ava. I think you'll, if you're going to play either of them, I think you should go for the second one. I think you'll like it a lot. I have the first one on my 3DS. It's just a question of do I have enough time to Oh my god, you should it. play it. It's so good. I know, everybody says it's really good, so I should probably give it a little bit of time to, to check it out. Yeah. Of course, maybe you should also play Shadow Hearts too. <laughs> oh, you jerk. Oh, it begins, oh, no, you it begins again. You need to live that shame until you play it. We're not I agree. Lie. I'm never going to let you go. Never going to give you up. I don't know. Never going to let Stop you Stop it, Rick Astley. Moving on. And uh, lots of Final Fantasy stuff today. The Final Fantasy X, X2 HD remaster on PS4 got a release date. It is coming out in May. It's the uh, 12th in North America, 14th in Japan, and the 15th in Europe. And it comes with a collectible desktop calendar in the U.S. and a steelbook in Europe. Um, is anybody feeling a little... I'm not getting that. I, I mean, if you already had it, 
it, it, does anybody feel the need to get it again? I, I kind of feel like this is a you, this is a I mean, it, time. Yes, I mean, now you can switch between soundtracks, so it's not like it's there's nothing to it. But I mean, you probably don't need to buy it again unless you know having it for remote play, which again you can already play it on Vita natively anyway. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where people are all pissy about it, and I sort of don't get why because it's a very easy just don't buy it. Yeah, I, that's how I view it as a just don't buy it. Uh, you know, I didn't buy the original. I didn't buy the PS3 version, so this actually would work out well for me if I decided to do it. But well, yeah, yeah and also the way the- to look at it, too, is that a lot of people, you know, you look at market research, and I hate to talk about that. Um, there are a lot of people who own PS4s that do not own PlayStation 3s and never did. Right. So people crying foul and saying this is dumb and this is soulless and commercial – yeah, they're trying to make money, but there are people who don't own PS3s. And for me personally, I hate the fact that I can't play PS3 games on PS4. Yeah. So, you know, I would actually consider getting this just to be able to play it on my PS4. Because, you know, I'm going to move to Japan. I'm not bringing three consoles. I'm bringing my PS4. I'm trying to figure out what I'm madder about. Not being able to play PlayStation 3 games on my PlayStation 4 or not being able to play PlayStation 1 classics on my PlayStation 4. That, you know you know what? Sony's press conference, you know how they get me to get another mic drop? They go, backward compatible. Could they do it with software at this point? Like, I don't know if that's even possible, but man, it would be nice. I strongly suspect that if my cell phone can run PlayStation 2 games, uh, my PlayStation 4 should be able to run PlayStation 2 games. That's the other aspect, is like, I feel like the PlayStation 3, yeah, if you take away my backwards compatibility, that's completely fine, but then make sure that I still have the ability... To play, like, I, I have the two Crimson, um, I almost said Crimson Butterfly, I have the two Fatal Frame, game, Fatal Frame games, and I can't play those, I, I can play those on my PlayStation 3, I can't play them on my PlayStation 4, like, that's, what the deuce? Like, what the hell, guys? Come on. Yeah. Let's... Like, it, well, it's one of those things, it's like, I get why they took it out, you know, blah, 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 whatever, the, you know, feature inflation, wanting to move, move people forward, but that doesn't mean it doesn't suck, like... I would love to only have my PS4 hooked up. Yeah, it would be nice. Yeah, I, I keep having to um, go back to my PS3 for reviewable stuff. Or Yeah, or like, you know, I want to go play Kingdom Hearts 2.5 or Birth by Sleep, and it's like, crap, I have to use, you know, the PS3. Yeah. yeah. Getting an HDMI switched up with that, but you only have so much space near your TV. Yeah, exactly. And plus, it's just nice to have stuff unified. I don't know. I like I like minimalism. I like things being clean and, and simple. So simple and yeah, clean. No, no, like the PS4, like you said, Rob, the interface on that is way better. I like to. I would like to not have to go back to the PS3 interface. Yeah, that's my thing. Is I would just I would like to be able. I, 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 at the very least, I just want it to be across the board. Like if I can play PlayStation 2 games that I've already bought again on PlayStation 3, I should be able to play them on my PlayStation 4. Like. That, that to me, would even make me feel better. Like, let's just get to that point. Let's make that work, and then I'll be a little bit happier. So. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's all I had for news today, unless there was some big uh, announcement you wanted to talk about. No, I don't think you guys have uh, anything else, but I I have a couple shout-outs to give here, because remember, I tried to shill myself a little bit last time to get some more uh, reviews. And And we got a couple. Yes, we do. Uh... Robbie Savage uh, gave us great, informative, entertaining show. I listen all the time, just not enough episodes. I know, I know, we have we have personal lives. It's it's hard to get this thing going. Well, I mean, I don't, but well, I mean, just just wait until you're married, dude. Trust me, it's a, <laughs> it it it's just it just goes. Uh, I'm, a work, I'm a workaholic, Rob. I love my work. 
I know, I know. I got a, I got a big one here that's very long, but I kind of want to read it because it makes me feel all nice and, and happy inside. Uh, spreading the experience points by Guy Verhickson. Um, I have no idea how to pronounce that name. Uh, I, I can't do it at all. Uh, but it, it's a long one there. Uh, this podcast is one of my favorites. I love the scope and range of games that the guys discuss, as well as all the countless threads into the past, uh, countless treads into some of the past of some of the video game's greatest RPGs. I gotta read slower. They're quite the characters and play off of their chemistry quite well. The conversations, for the most part, are rather objective and give plenty of helpful insight into some of the most obscure and or indie titles. Yes, especially when we start going off into tangents about why The Last of Us is disappointing. Kidding, kidding. My wish list of games just keeps growing with every episode lastly it's humbling to hear that the hosts of the show seem like everyday guys like myself and feel like you could be chatting with them about video games over a couple of whiskeys i'm a scotch man myself but i will drink a whiskey that's fine uh thanks guys no, he's definitely a scotch man he wouldn't stop talking about it in Magfest. that's true uh please give a shout out to don well don there's your shout out dude and you like scotch now you enjoyed what i what i gave no, you no i like scott i've never yeah. not liked scotch i mean I, I did not like it years ago but uh, i was just trying to like make i was just trying to i was just trying to yeah, now you've grown up. And uh, last one from uh, the external heart. The guys in the show have great banner between each other. The comments are very informative and add great insight to the RPGs that are coming out. Uh, again, guys, thanks so much for the kind words. We always love that stuff. It, it's nice to know that some people are actually listening. Uh, makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. So uh, for Steven and Dick... No, it never gets old. And I, I will definitely read more. If you guys keep giving us uh, reviews, I will continue to read more of those. So I, I will shill myself here all day, every day. Speaking of shilling, I'm about to shill one more time really quick. And this is completely unrelated. And I should normally do it on Rhythm Encounter, but we're doing Music of the Year, so that's going to be a while. Uh, I'm going to be published at Game Music Online starting in about a week uh, with my translations of Japanese soundtrack liner notes, starting with Memoria, uh, Yokoshima Mura's album. And it is amazingly fun to be able to engage with her words. So if you are interested, and I know this is a niche niche thing, if you would like to read the liner notes to albums, I'm going to be publishing my translations for the foreseeable future on Game Music Online, which is also an awesome site anyway, so go read them about game music. Okay. So for uh, Derek and Steven, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or through the RSS feed. Uh, make sure to give us comments and reviews, and we'll see you all later. Bye. Bye.